Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks I'm Carl Hartley And I'm Max Peterson And we are joined in the mobile, the the socially distanced FCK By a very special ke- uh, guest today um, Yeah, my name is Leslie Alicia Tai So you, I, I actually met you through Carl As I meet so many amazing uh, <laughs> amazing people these days um how did you first of all you've introduced us to a phenomenal movie which we'll get into in just a moment um but i want to know a little bit more about you and about how you and carl met because you do some pretty cool stuff i've seen some pretty pretty awesome stuff that you've done tell us a little bit about it Uh, absolutely so my i actually work my day job is teaching film and screenwriting at interlochen arts academy Um, so that's kind of the film connection that I have. I studied screenwriting, uh, USC in California. Um, but I, uh, went to school here at Interlochen. So this is how I know about this place and then came back in 2002, um, to start teaching here and and ended up moving here. And, um, I got involved soon after that with the old town playhouse, which is, you know, our wonderful community theater. And that's basically how I met Carl. Um, I met Carl through actually his wonderful wife, Danielle. (laughs) Yes, uh, I knew her first. um, But since then, Carl and I have had the pleasure of working together. Um, He is a part of um, my another theater company that actually I'm um, in charge of called Mashup Rock and Roll Musical. Right. And so Carl is a troop member and uh, has performed with us and done some pretty incredible stuff. Um. Carl was in the now you've done rock and roll mashup for how many years running now because I've seen one iterate or one or yeah I've seen one iteration of it but I know that you've done several and I've heard I've only heard like uh, like break your brain Rocky Horror levels it was astoundingly good level reviews from these and the one that I saw lived up to it so um, how how many years have you been doing mashup? Um, since 2013, 2013 was our first year. So we've done not quite one a year, but about that. Yeah. And so, um, Carl was in, um, the little prince and the man from Mars, which was our, um, Prince and David Bowie mashup, a heartbreaker, Um, a tear your heart out and stomp on it and make you feel amazing and horrible all at the same time. It was so good. Um, yeah, can can confirm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And then Carl got to be a much more joy in a much more joyful production last year. Um, yes. How Grinchy met the Who. So that was a uh, like the Tommy meets the Grinch uh, who stole Christmas. Right, right. After uh, after back to back roles for Carl, uh, one of them was with Mashup, one not with you. But after playing, uh, you know, a child molester and a uh, yep. you know, post apocalyptic, soon to have their entire family wiped out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> commander in a in a musical. It was nice to have have a lighthearted Christmas role <laughs> for Carl. Thank you. We appreciate your your saving yeah. his sanity. Yeah, no kid. I think I I thank Leslie like a thousand times for Grinchy. I'm like, thank you for this. Thank you for this. I had like three just brutal things to yes. do back to back to back that year. In which I would you were take marvelous. Those roles. Thank you. But I would take those roles 
any day to be back in theater again. I'll just say that. For sure. (laughs) That was one thing I wanted to ask both of you about. Um, We're all obviously all creative types. Uh, I think I'm a little more uh, of a hermit than the two of you. Both of you are very active in the Traverse City local theater scene. Um, Carl, you and I have talked a little bit about this, obviously, missing the stage, missing um, the theater. But this is the first time we've had an opportunity to get an outsider perspective on this. Um, Leslie, what is the situation going on with the theater right now? I- I've really only driven past the Old Town Playhouse. I've seen the the tent that they've got set up outside. Everyone's trying to pivot right now, obviously, and, mm-hmm. and do more outdoor socially distanced type things. What do you do? You have anything to tell us about what things look like going forward for local theater in the Traverse City area right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're all trying to figure it out because there's, you know, obviously going online is a is a kind of one of the only ways, especially up here when it's starting to get cold, um, and we're not going to want to sit outside. Um, But at the same time, everybody's online, and and there's you know a certain amount of screen fatigue, so it's a rough thing. So we're really trying to think about like what's really special, what's really unique. Um, uh, You know, right now, um, uh, like I just completed a little fun little thing for Old Town Playhouse, which should be shared on social media, a fun little actually movie holiday movie remake moment. Um, But so we're, we're kind of thinking about little projects that we can throw out there. And then we're trying to develop the bigger projects that will be, um, uh, maybe things you can charge some admission for. I think it's a, it's hard to figure that out. Like what, you know, what will people pay for? Um, we still need people to donate to arts organizations and still to make them happen. Otherwise they're going to go away, you know? Right. right. That, um, that's and- such a big thing right now is, is supporting the artists that you like and that you follow mm-hmm. right now because all of a sudden, all of the audience just vanished for all yeah. live performance. If you like a band, hit up their band camp. If you like a theater company, if they're doing anything online, blow it up and support them. Because this is, we all we all need to hold on to the stuff that we love and, and keep it above water as best we can. That's, uh, thank you for pointing that out. But go on. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Um. Yeah, and then with Mashup, you know, we, uh, Carl got to be actually sort of, in a show, not actually being in the show, but he got, got to, to hang s- out with your husband quite a bit. That That's was right. Yeah. We, did a, we did a weird outdoor um, scavenger hunt slash live theater event called Scooby-Doo Wop. So it was like an episode of Scooby-Doo, but with um, like music that was sent to your phone and these wacky little like just, you know, visual only people running around. And then you got clues that you had to solve and they sure. would take you to the next location. Um, so we did all the songs pre-recorded, um, mm. everything very COVID safe and everybody mm. stayed in their, uh, the audience stayed in their cars. So pretty sure we'll do another one of those once it warms up a little bit in the spring. Excellent. That keep, yeah. uh, keep us posted. We would love to blow stuff like that up for you if we can. Um, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it sounds really fun. fun. We also have a web series that will be coming out that I know you're going to really like. I can't tell you what it is, though. Oh, no. Okay. No! Um, so Secrets. <laughs> where can where can people go to to await that or where should they look to see announcements for the web series coming up? Well, uh, so we are Mashup Rock and Roll Musical, mm-hmm. Rock and Roll Musical. That's you can find us online, mashuprockandrollmusical.com. You can find us on Facebook. All those places. Excellent, excellent. Um, so speaking of musical, I, <laughs> through some strange and hilarious miscommunication, I thought that the movie we were going to talk about today, which you recommended to us, um, was a musical. 
It is not at all, <laughs> even remotely. So I'm like, I'm like, man, watching this in movie my, the first in time my through. Heart, in my heart, it is though. I know. Uh, well, Carl sent me the text, and he's like, "All right, so okay, we've got we we scheduled all of our special guests for the rest of the year. You know, we've got them all lined up." And he's like, "Okay, here's what we're watching next, dude. You're gonna love this one, '80s musical." I'm like, "Yes, excellent. Spin it." Like an hour in, I'm like, man, they're burying the music in this. It be- it's going to be amazing. Like the musical number must just be a showstopper because <laughs> it's not here yet. And like there's only about 22 minutes left. Um, it turns out the movie we're talking about today is not a musical. But the movie today we are, that we're talking about today is a an 80s masterpiece. I do not know how I missed this. But what we are talking about today is... Listeners, you are in for a treat. It is 1982's The Legend of Billie Jean. She was a fugitive to the police. A sensation to the media. And a symbol of courage to young people everywhere to fight for what's right. The Legend of Billie Jean, directed by Matthew Robbins, featuring Pat Benatar's hit song, Invincible, rated PG-13. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Wait, it starts Friday? Uh, Yeah, and we're all going, because I'll tell you what, this movie (laughs) features Pat Benatar. Oh, great, googly moogly is Pat Benatar all over this. They got the rights to two songs, and they just, they played you every second of each, 20 seconds at a time. I... Love this movie. Let's run through the credits really quick. Um, They're better than you'd think. It's directed by Matthew Robbins, starring Helen Slater, Christian Slater, no relation, Keith Gordon, Richard Bradford, Peter Coyote, Martha Gaiman, and in the, like, the role of a lifetime just blew my mind, Yardley Smith, who is the voice of Lisa Simpson. Mm -hmm. Oh my god Okay the legend of Billy I don't know why I threw my notes in the floor just now Like I was was done with two pages of notes That I took but Oh my god is this very good Um, That's how excited Okay so obviously Leslie You've seen this film Carl had you ever seen this before I thought that I had but I was I would be incorrect in saying so This is my first time I don't know like you I don't know how this missed my wheelhouse I, this is my wheelhouse for sure. It's so because it's R-rated, yeah. I was not allowed to watch the, R-rated anything. So, so in this our movie house. ended up somehow with a PG-13. By yeah, the way, they changed it. Yeah, it it, it ended up as PG-13. But Carl, you're right. It did have like a, 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 a baker's dozen fucks. And I will say this: this movie skirts that nudity line like right on the razor's edge. This is a this is a pretty daring PG thirteen, um, but you know, given what what we've seen in the past with Planet, uh, you know, the Planet of the Apes movies being rated PG thirteen, loaded with heinous crucifixions and atomic mm-hmm. warfare, um, you know, we're honestly we, we should just get rid of the ratings and let people sort stuff out for themselves. But Leslie, how did you discover this movie? How did you come to this? Because it seems so quintessentially 80s that I can't believe I've never even heard of this movie before. Yeah. Yeah. It's like really just not known. I think it did really poorly when it came out. But I mean, I would have discovered it um, on HBO, basically. Sure. Right. As like a as like a kid right. um, in the mid 80s. So, you know, it was on. So I had it 
I basically it was one of those movies that I recorded on VHS because you recorded everything <laughs> off of HBO onto VHS. Right, right. And then watched it a million times. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, I love this movie. I, lo- I was like obsessed with this movie. Totally loved it. Totally loved her. And then I probably hadn't thought about it in, you know, well over 20 years. I don't know. I totally not thought about it for a long time. And right. one of my students showed up with like she'd sh- cut all her hair off and she'd dyed it you know bleached it blonde and I just suddenly I was like oh my gosh you just made me remember this movie and I started thinking and I was like I think I remember this I think this is like a really feminist movie I think this movie is. is like really interesting has really cool interesting like themes to it and you know and I was really worried I was gonna watch it again and it was going to be one of those 80s movies that, like, doesn't hold up or that, you know, I'm like, oh, there's all these problematic things about it. You know, there's, you know, but I was just like, no, it does. It's still so, so interesting. And, like, I can't believe that this was made in the in the mid-80s. Right. And us, it's it's amazing. Uh, you're right. There are There are, in fact, problematic things in here, but because of the sort of the sort of core driving narrative of the story, those problematic things become sort of like supportive cases rather Mm -hmm. than one of those weird, you know, one of those weird moments where you have to go like, ah, okay, it was an Uh, 80s movie. You got to give it a, uh, and it's something you get past. It's something unpleasant and awkward because they're meant to be unpleasant and awkward. Right. Totally. This, this movie is insane. And, and speaking of it not doing well and flying under the radar, you're, you're completely right. This has a 45% on IMDb. Um, if you look at the critics, criminal. I I completely agree. My third to last note, like right near the end of this movie, I wrote down: people are dumb. This should be one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie is so incredible. It 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 scratched all the right eighties eighties scratches for me. You know, it it, mm-hmm. it has elements of the Goonies. It has elements mm-hmm. of like um those sort of ma- like made for TV eighties things that we all love, like the it you know, mini series on TV and yep. it's got notes of like Steven Spielberg's 80s stuff. I mean, aside from, you know, like, um, uh, ET extraterrestrial mm-hmm. and things like that. It's got yeah. coming of age elements. It's amazing, honestly. Um, and one of the things that I really loved about it is it, it uh, are some of those problematic angles to it. One of the things that I really loved about this movie is that it feels while you're watching it, it feels dangerous. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it feels... There are moments in here where you're like, oh, okay, I'm watching an, an 80s movie. It's got the synth, <laughs> and oh, there's a Pat Benatar song in the score. But then there's an, there's an underage girl that's being assaulted by mm-hmm. an adult. Like, that mm-hmm. that's suddenly happening, and you're really mm-hmm. not ready for it. Um, mm-hmm. I texted Carl. I, uh, actually, let me see if I can find the text. It's pretty... I think I was working when you sent me the text. And yeah, yeah. So I'm sure you were. I started watching this movie and I was like, I, I, okay. So I said, dude, Billy Jean, what in the French? This movie is Bananarama Buck Sandwich Wiggity Wild. <laughs> and I wrote that. That would be, that was the text. <laughs> that was the text I sent him. So I'm, I'm watching this movie and it seems, I, you kind of think you know where it's going. Uh, obviously, it starts out being a little saucy. You know, they, they reveal this fairly young character and there's like a you know she's she's sassy and long hair and beautiful and the whole town loves her but all of a sudden it goes from like 
you broke my scooter to like we shot a guy and we're on the run like yeah. and that happens in like 30 seconds it goes it goes from like a like a disney like a made for tv disney movie to a real stakes yes. oh shit they are now probably wanted for assault Turns with the deadly into the weapon. getaway i mean it's insane mm-hmm. it really does um I love early so so for listeners who haven't seen this movie who know nothing about this movie the setup's actually fairly simple. You have a brother and sister um it's a single parent household there it's just their mom their dad recently died and the younger brother who's played by a adorable like 13-year-old Christian He's, Slater. He was 15. He was yeah. 15. He is still cooking. His face doesn't even look like Christian Slater yet. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. I, yeah, that pudding has not yet set, man. I thought exactly no. the same thing. <laughs> when you told me that young Christian Slater was in this, I kept looking for him. And then it, t- it took me like 20 minutes to realize that the brother is. I was like, him. I was like, oh, oh, that young. Oh, like eight year old Christian. <laughs> you know, he's, he's not. He's 15. But yeah, a little baby Christian Slater's in this. So, um. So Christian Slater plays Billy Jean's brother. He has a a motor scooter that he just loves. He bought it with the insurance money from his father's passing. It's it's a nice motor scooter, ex- expensive. It's There's, an elite. Yes, it's <laughs> uh, it gets it gets elitely fucked up. Let me tell you what, dude. I'll tell you when that when that motor scooter is trashed. It's oh, that's a sad sight, dude. But um, there's a local bully. He is into Billy Jean. So, you know, in order to, to catch her eye, he <laughs> completely demolishes her brother's motor scooter and beats the shit out of him. Like you, That's how you used to woo women back in the 80s. Right. You trashed their brother's scooter. Yeah, 1982. <laughs> this was fair. Well, you're, you're forgetting that he does get that, that Binks throws the shake in his face. So, that is so there is an element. There is an bit. element of so revenge. Yes. Revenge, yeah. yeah. Um, so basically, once once that motor scooter gets trashed, Billy Jean goes to the bully's father, demanding recompense for this trashed motor scooter. All of what I'm telling you is in the first 15 minutes of the movie. It sounds like a lot, but this is the setup. Dad refuses. Shit goes sideways. And the gang, by the gang, I mean Billie Jean, her brother, and two of their wacky, sh- wackety, schmackety friends, including the voice <laughs> of Lisa Simpson, go on the road as a sort of like Thelma and Louise meets Hole in the Wall gang. And it just becomes like this wild road movie slash like punk rebellion uprising pro feminist like youth culture 80s epic it, in an hour and a half. It is so tight. <laughs> So well shot, so well plotted, so good. It's got all of these 80s touches. I hate to say this, obviously, because, look, he's a bully and he's a scumbag and we hate him. But the bullies, Hubie's Hubie's tiki board shorts were so (laughs) on point. As he's trashing the, you know, as he's stealing this moped and, like, shoving poor, poor Christian, you know, baby Slater into the dust. <laughs> baby Slater. I know. I felt so guilty for it, but I'm like, I'm like, look, man, when you're wearing shorts that good, you have claim to everything before. Th- those tiki shorts are prime. I gotta, I have to get me a pair of those. So, oh, so amazing. Um, Carl, so I'm assuming mm-hmm. we all love this movie, Yes. Yes. Okay. So I, we keep talking about it's just like these 80s movies. It's just like the Goonies. It's just like E.T. It's mm-hmm. just like all of But it predates all of those. 
It does. 82. It's so early yeah. on. No, um, I, no, I think it's 84. 85, 84 or 85. The, the IMDb entry that I found for this one was 82, but I'll double check real quick. Um, well, you- based on based on Christian Slater's <clears throat> lack of pudding setting or whatever. Oh, uh, the trailer is 1985. Let me go. Let me let me do some in- investigation on this. Well, at least it's living in the same couple of years. I mean, it doesn't owe anything to any other movie. This is its well, you- own thing. You know that the director Matthew Robbins is like a Spiel worked with Spielberg. Right, he's a yeah. uh, came up in that whole camp, right? So yeah, exactly. So knows how to shoot family stuff and road stuff. Very much so. Like this, even though there's not a whole lot of family proper in this, because so much of it is spent on the lamb. You well, the get, kids are their family. Right? Yeah, so. definitely, they become their own family for sure. Um. Yeah, actually, IMDb is showing this as 1985 as well. Um, I stand corrected. Yeah, it's weird. The, I I must have pulled it up somewhere else and got the 82. But no, and so yeah, this movie is 1985. So where does that where does that put it? Does that put this around the same time as Goonies? I feel like Goonies was later in the 80s, mm. 87. I base everything around my knowledge that Back to the Future is 1985, and that's because they <laughs> stayed it in the movie. Oh. I think Goonies is 85, too. Yeah. Same year. right. Yeah. Because Columbus is directing that. Well, yeah. 1985 is, like, the year. I was 10 10 years old, and, like, so many of my favorite movies came out in 1985. Jedi was 85, I think. Okay, so this this just landed in that. It's like that. It's like how wine has good years where everyone knows that you really. What was the Billy Joel album that came out in 1985? Don't tell us. Yeah, that's that's the metric for whether or not it was a good '80s year, is whether or not a killer Billy Joel album came out or one of his free, also ran. Free Stormfront, I know that much. <laughs> Stormfront, um, at least yeah. So one of the things I thought was really cool about specifically this cast, and in particular Helen Slater and and Baby Slater, young young Mister Christian. All of these kids look like you could have pulled them out of any of the casts of this. Like, honestly, Helen Slater looked like she just walked off the set of Labyrinth and into this movie. There's just, like, a certain look that young actors from the 80s all have. You know what I mean? That sort of, like, they look like Stephen King kids, you know, where they're, oh, shucks, mister, you got your thumb on the scale, you know? They're, they're, they all look like extras from Stand By Me, you know, or, or something like that. In the best possible way. Um, <laughs> and one of the things I was not expecting in The Legend of Billie Jean, this is really funny. This is really well mm-hmm. written. Um, just watching the trailer and reading the description on IMDb, it sounded more drama-y than it actually mm-hmm. is. It's, yeah. it's very funny and very uplifting. It's There are there are moments in here that are very intense. Like, obviously, big spoilers. But near the end of the movie, um, when Christian Slater gets shot, that like you you do not expect that sharpshooter to just tag a child, you know, mm-hmm. like a fifteen year old kid. But I will say, good on them for having control and accuracy and only winging them. I noticed that too. I yep. thought it was pretty daring to take a shot past a hostage like that's Mm -hmm. that's a pretty high stakes situation right there you know especially if they are considering that the gun is probably a fake um oh yeah 
Right there. Oh man, that's a whole. There's che- there's Chekhov's gun, and then there's this, which is you just know from the moment that he steals that toy gun. Oh. And blows my mind. I totally forgot that you could like back in the day when you went yeah. to buy a cap gun, it looked like a gun. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, to, like, it that was so fell out of my knowledge well, base for it's a shocked. 85 like you you forget because I, I mean obviously i'm a little younger than the two of you i was born in 90 by the time i was old enough to get cap you guns baby. i know i know but by the time i was old enough to get cap guns you still smell like milk <laughs> i'm still wiping the baby powder off for my youth man i'm 30 now but it's <laughs> it sticks around for a while but um <laughs> i've still got the diaper rash it makes me ornery oh, but <laughs> But by the time I was old enough to get cap guns, they all had that orange tip on yeah. them, you know, mm-hmm. to to help. Honestly, it was to help normal people and especially law enforcement differentiate a fake gun from a real one, mm-hmm. you know. And this was before that, so it's weird to see what looks like a bunch of real guns in like toy packaging on a spinner rack at the front of a gas station. There, with without the orange tips, like my '90s brain could not grasp that. I was like. Holy shit! That's a bunch of Colts and Colts and a GI Joe wrapper. You know, like what they is Solomon Bubbles? What the, what the hell? Yeah, I was like, the eighties mm-hmm. were rowdy, dude. Like, you, you know, a ten-year-old rolls in, he's like, "Give me a Colt forty-five and a pack of smokes." You know, like what in the hell was going on in eighty-five? <laughs> Give me a three fifty-seven and a pack of red apples. Yeah, I need a gun to murder a man and a pint of liquor for the old man. You know, like it's just the eighties sound. They seem like a pretty crazy time. Speaking of crazy 80s time uh can we talk about the two sisters i believe their names are donna and donna and putter is that who it is it's uh no it's ophelia ophelia and putter ophelia ophelia and putter are oh my god when we are first introduced to them watching them they're watching the uh they're watching professional wrestling I think they're watching Glow, honestly. They're watching Glow, yeah. Yeah, they're watching, yeah. They're watching the like Glow wrestling on a TV set that's outside their house. <laughs> I So this whole movie takes place in Texas during a heat wave. This is one of my favorite things ever. It, who, whoever would expect the following sentence? While I was watching The Legend of Billie Jean, I was just repeatedly taken back to True Detective Season 1. <laughs> just like that that sweaty southern heat where there's something cool about and it's one of the it's one of the sort of miracles of movies is you're you're shown different parts of the country and different cultures that you're not privy to but there's something about sitting on your back porch sweating like a pig watching glow wrestling on like a <laughs> shitty rabbit ear TV you know um because you're afraid to go inside because you're parents might smack you around because you're grounded there's something about that that's so charming and then we get our first lines out of the girls look at those tits i think they're gross (laughs) (laughs) and that's the first sentiment we get out of these two delightful characters they are so funny um i love and I'm, I'm I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Putter is is Putter somehow related to to Hubie or not? No, no. I and so. I mean, I think part and part of the whole thing is the fact that those kids, right? Sure. Those four live in the trailer park, right? So they're they're considered kind of the trailer trash mm-hmm. versus like Hubie is, you know, his dad owns a business and is is considered, you know, 
higher class. Right. Right. And that's kind of a big deal. So, so these, the, all of the trailer kids, the, uh, Ophelia, Hubie, and, uh, um, uh, uh, Billy Jean and her brother. What's Christian Slater's name other than Baby Slater? Binks. 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 Binks right. Yeah. So <clears throat> right. They're all aware of Hubie then. So they they know he's sort of like a known quantity in town. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. For yeah. For one second, I thought that putter was somehow tied to him because she seemed. Well, she seems so authoritative when they get to the police station, and she's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, he's a fucker. <laughs> laying down the law. Hubie, Hubie won't bring it back. How do you know? Because he's a fucker. That's how I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, again, like, this is what I love about this movie is that you have three female characters right. who are just like, they are, they are like who they are. They are strong. They are like determined, right? I mean, right. again, how many movies do we see that in even today? Not a whole lot. I I think more now than we did previously, but for 85, this is very much much ahead of its time. Very much, this is a very strong feminist film in the best possible way. One of my favorite things about those three female characters that we're talking about is they all, they all remain distinct. Carl and, I've, Carl and I, we've watched a shitload of movies for this, and um, a shitload of movies not. We're, we're both huge hardcore film fans, and I'm sure you'll agree, Carl. There's a thing that happens where you get heavy air quotes, strong female character. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where basically. That a lot. Yeah, and, and, and that can go two ways. You can either get a homogenized, sort of like grab bag of feminism strong female character who is sort of bland and lifeless but has these you know has the sort of like uh, the the buzzword traits that you're looking for in a strong Mm -hmm. female character or you get a copy and paste male action hero Mm -hmm. in a female body Yes. And and then they say strong female character, but really you're like, I mean, really. You get though, Wonder Woman, where Wonder Woman still needs a man to be effective in her own fucking movie. Anyway, that's a whole. <laughs> well, I mean, you can listen to a pretty brutal takedown of Wonder Woman on the now defunct Chapman and Robin theme or uh, feed. But yeah, like that's what you end up with when you're looking for a strong female character. You either end up with John Wick in a dress, or you end up with like. Sort of a sort of sort of a Wonder Woman esque character, which is lip service feminism, but ultimately sort of fails when you look closely mm-hmm. a- as an individual. There is no individuality. There is no real character. It's just I was gonna say there's no real character. Right. It's just a collective of ideals and and words that will will sort of strike strike shallow emotions in people. This movie mm-hmm. is not that. This movie is very distinct fully fleshed out characters that embody not and again like billy jean ends up having kind of a sort of a christ-like role in this she becomes a messianic (laughs) figure but she is never like the total collect she's never meant to stand for like the avenging feminine angel she's just a strong assertive opinionated and and well principled morally sound female character in a film and everyone gravitates yeah. to her because of that that's really it's refreshing ne- it's to because see. she's never she's never not billy jean she yes. she's always true to who she is she doesn't when she when she shaves her head and she she puts the bandana around her arm she's still billy jean right she looks fierce as fuck. 
She's incredible. <laughs> she looks like the mix between your wife and like Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> in the best way possible. But dude, she looks a lot like Bird. High when praise. She gets her... I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking the same thing too. I was like, oh, I just didn't cut that short enough. You gotta. <laughs> it's actually you just go down to a one, honestly, and then you don't have to do. There's no product involved. I don't know if I'd want that though, man. Those. Just, she's still just she's Billy Jean and she does what's right and she's six hundred and eight bucks and getting the scooter fixed is all she is asking mm-hmm. for. Fair is fair. Fair, fair is, is fair. fair. That man, I don't know. When you sent me that text, you're like, I'm gonna get six oh eight tattooed on my neck. I, I I hadn't made the connection and I was like I was like, What? Carl's getting a neck tattoo based on this movie? That's insane. Well, it means you only ask for what for what's for owed what's you. fair, right? Well, yeah, what's fair is fair. My immediate next thought was fat, like, just thug lifestyle, <laughs> <next> <laughs> like a big fat six oh eight. On the... Well, as soon as you said that, I was like, that's a little obscure. If I was gonna get a neck tap from this, it would be fair is fair, like right on the throat. So both you and I are now, I guess, gonna go get like career ending neck tattoos based on an obscure eighties film. <laughs> Perfect. So, um, what am I? Six oh eight. Is that a weird zip code? I, yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, an, right. I thought it was an area code. Yeah, I was like, I was or like, is that a, is this a Baltimore? I think it's an area code in, in Wisconsin or something. Yeah, I feel like yeah. It's, yeah, it's like the it's a flyover state. Cheeseheads for life, yo. You know what it is? It's Corpus Christi, Texas. Is what yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Um. So going through my notes, I I tried to take. I thought I was going to get about a page out of this. I ended up with a full two before I had to force myself to stop. Um, I love when they first go to the cops because, you know, it's we get we get Billie Jean. Tr- we see from the beginning that Billie Jean does not want this situation to escalate. Mm-hmm. She wants this to be settled in a reasonable manner. Um, and, and it become, eventually becomes her slogan, but it really is as simple to her as fair is fair, which mm-hmm. is, look, they stole my – your your son, she, because she goes to Hubie's dad basically, and she's like, hey, your son stole my brother's very expensive moped, which was purchased with money that from the death of our father. This is a really meaningful artifact, okay? Um, he made some weird advances on me, um, bordering on assault, but uh, I'm going to let that ride. I just really want you to pay for the damages from our scooter, uh, especially because also your son beat the shit out of my brother. The amount of blood that, – that was one of the things I was very surprised about by this mm-hmm. movie. When, when Christian Slater looks up <clears> – <throat> when when – uh, Bix looks, or what's his name? Bix, Binks? Binks. 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 When Binks looks up at Billy Jean, like turns away from his pillow when he gets up off that pillow, the amount of blood on the pillow and on his sheets, mm-hmm. and some of it's on the wall. Mm-hmm. He's really hurt. Like a, a lot of times, movies will give a character like a, a like a bob lip and like a little bloody nose. They really fucked Christian Slater up in this. And I, I appreciated that choice because it makes the violence that much more shocking. It really – not that you need to turn the screw on the villain in this because the villain's like a, a – he's like a pedophilic attempted rapist. He's pretty bad yeah. just like right on the top. But, but it really makes these people especially reprehensible. Uh, especially in, in in addition to their their weird class structures thing that comes in here, yeah, 
um, this is a this is a really interesting movie for 2020 because in in a way this is a movie about no shit for yep. sh- for sure and, and not from a feminist angle of course but also from a class disparity angle and from yep. an abuse of power angle like, and from and from a media spinning things angle yes very much and so the idea of the truth right and what's true and and people's voices and and being heard or not being heard turning right. into celebrity there's some natural born killersy kind of stuff that oh, whole like completely i'm so glad you brought that up this has this is very natural born killers it's got it's got that same vibe not not in like the the, the sort of surrealist psychedelic, sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's We're not shooting on eight different kinds of film stock, including <laughs> animation, right? <laughs> right, right, right. We're um, not chopping it while we're high on mushrooms, but yeah. sure. But don't you dare take away anything from Natural Born Killers, man. But no, but it, yeah, it that sort of media frenzy vibe that you get from Natural Born Killers. One of the things I thought was really interesting in in this movie is how all of our protagonists get pulled into the media hype. Did, mm-hmm. did you guys rob that gas station in Tallahassee? Yeah, that was us. No, it wasn't. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it's stuff like that. How easy is it to just to just bask in the fame? And and uh, there's a really interest I think there's an interesting aspect here especially when you consider the character of of Billy. You know, which is how how much do you play into your popularity and fame to spread your message to to get yep. across this strength weighed against playing when playing into that that uh uh you know that media um what am i trying to say here that media praise costs yep. you your morals or your principles yep. you know yep. like that's a that is a very 2020 balancing act this is this is something that more people today are dealing with than I think ever had to deal with in '85. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, do you know? Do you know the who wrote the original screenplay uncredited? I do Have not you heard know. this. No. Yeah. So the actually the original screenplay was written by a writer named um, Walter Bernstein, and he was a blacklisted writer during the McCarthy era. Mm. No kidding. He wrote the front, the Woody Allen. Uh, movie where he plays the writer who's pretending, you know, to be the writer for all the blacklisted writers. Right, right, yeah. right. So, I mean, this is obviously a really political writer. Uh, he he came mm. up with the original idea. It was originally called Fair is Fair, I think. And so, wow. and then uh, then it was taken on by you know this this other writing team, um, who I think did probably were brought on to like maybe punch up the humor, maybe sure. you know kind of punch up the fun, make it this kind of a movie. Sure, sure. But I mean, it explains a lot about the social issues that this movie is really dealing with. That's crazy to me that in eighty, it makes sense, but you don't think about it. But in eighty five, you're still seeing those last ripples and echoes of McCarthyism holding oh, yeah. over mm-hmm. from the from the fifties and sixties. That's wild. Oh, yeah, who was president? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. In the eighties, it would be. Is that a, that's I mean, all Reagan, right? Through the yeah. Reagan was Nick's... all he was all over the House of Un American Activities. Right. He was he was throwing everybody uh, you know, into it, like saying, Yep, they're a communist, they're a communist. So And and shut down all of the mental facilities, including our our Ooh. lovely Traverse City State Hospital. 
mm-hmm. which <laughs> I have to avoid talking about at work. I learned that like in my first week that you can't really tell people the whole story of the Traverse City State Hospital. You got to just give them the cliff notes because you got to kind of gloss everything. Yeah, you're on vacation. You it's don't weird. Like- you know, it's like, well, why did they close it? And you go, well, uh, Ronald Reagan decided he wanted to sacrifice all of the mental health facilities in the United States in exchange for a, a futile and never ending war on drugs, essentially. And he more or less created homelessness on a massive scale. And then they look at you blankly and then. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Like, can I get another uh, cinnamon girl? Please? Right, yeah. And then a coworker takes you aside, and they're like, "Hey, man, just tell them like it was a it was a mental facility, Ghost, so I, man." Right, Ghost. right. Yeah, there's this. This was the laundry facility. You know, you give them the basics, bro. You don't have to. That's cool that you know that, but don't tell other people that. It's a bummer, man. You know. Um. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So. So early in this movie, uh, there's a character who's introduced, and it's it's the cop. It's the detective who there's a, there's a, many police in the story, but there's one who's kind of our like liaison between Billy Jean and the real world. What do yep. you? Th- actor for, I'm sorry, Peter Coyote is like the 1980s movie dad. Even if yep. he's not playing a dad, <laughs> if he's a cop or he's the he's the other guy from ET. He's like. He came to me too, Elliot. He came to me too. That's him. <laughs> you want him in that role. You need him in that role. And he's fucking wonderful. Okay. Anyways. I knew you would have strong opinions about Peter Coyote, which I'm very glad for. Uh, glad of. I wanted to get your opinion on this character. Um, You in particular, Leslie. So from specifically, obviously, y- you brought this movie to us. I think when you initially pitched it, you had mentioned that, you know, not only is it a fun 80s romp, but it's also really powerfully feminist and has really uh, strong uh, strong themes that resonate today. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a character that I think is really interesting because he, he sort of oscillates back and forth onto either side of that line. And I, I wanted to get your take on him. I think he's actually a little more complicated than he appears mm-hmm. to be at... at, at at first glance, the the early scene that I'm thinking of is when Billy Jean first goes in to tell him, "Hey, here's what happened. My my brother's moped got stolen, and he he she lays out the whole thing. This guy came and hit on me. He was you know he was trying to get my attention, and then he my my brother threw the shake in his face. They stole his stuff. She doesn't know at this point yet that he's gotten beat up, but his his initial response is, and I, obviously I'm being cheeky here, but his initial response is basically like, yeah, Hubie probably just assaulted you and stole your brother's moped. You know, grand larceny and assault, you know, to just get your attention because yep. you're a beautiful woman. Mm. By, the, by the end of that scene, he does assent to help her. He's like, all right. If you want to push this, then I will bring that. And he says it. He goes. He gets on her level and says, "I'll bring the fucker in." You know. So, mm-hmm. but at the but the first part of that scene is is uncomfortable. And I wanted to get your read on it. What do you think of this character, the Peter Coyote cop character? I yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, and I think this is like essential to it too that that he says the same thing that everybody says oh he's just a boy right boys will be boys is basically right. what he says yes right yeah. he's he's just you know he's trying to get your attention you're a pretty girl he's trying to get your attention and that's so important 
because it, and I think that through the rest of the movie, he is regretting that he is regretting and starting to realize how crappy this is is he starts to piece things together he starts to piece things together about what happened in the back room he starts to piece things together about really who this you know hubie kid is like um i mean in that scene when he comes to investigate you know the shooting that happened he's like and he sees the pictures of who the kids are and he's like oh i think i really messed this up right Right. i really messed this up and Mm -hmm. so i mean i think he's i think he's honest with her at the end of that scene when he says Mm -hmm. I'll bring him in, but I still think he doesn't think it's that serious. And he's still not really taking her that seriously. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In that, in that first scene, definitely. I think that his, I think he really engages as a character after the shooting because he realizes yeah. this was a serious situation that I failed yeah. to address. And I think that that yeah. irks him morally. It's, in pretty, a way. it's pretty rare to see actually uh, a character like that in a film not even halfway in saying, I think I might have fucked up. Yeah, I love his arc. And then and then has a huge arc moving forward from there. For he he ends up pretty much being the only person who's No, I shouldn't say the only person because I do feel like a lot of the common people who the air quotes common people who come in contact with Billy Jean and sort of build her into this messianic Robin Hood Dillinger esque outlaw character. I feel like their response to her is very genuine, but I think that he's the. I think that the Peter Coyote that Coyote is the only one who genuinely is on her side. Yes. In, in this this dispute, other people make this into a, a broad issue, but I think he firmly grasps the dynamic, which is she was wronged by this man and his son. Her family was wronged by this family, and she wants restitution for that. Fair is fair. Everything else that pops up, all the other hype and spin and fluff and and the, all the sizzle and all the with very little stake, that's all media concoction. And he's kind of got that set to one side. Yeah, he's operating on this core dynamic, as is Billy Jean, and everyone else in the movie is kind of swept up in the maelstrom of of media. There, there's also some really like delicious moments where he recognizes like how capable she is and smart, mm-hmm. like when they're sure. in the mall scene, which, you know, and, and with the marbles and all this stuff, I mean, we can talk about what that means, but like <laughs> he, he stops and he's just like, he, he registers, like she's thought this all through. She yes. has a plan. Right. You yeah. know? And I think there's this, there's this like admiration that he builds for her too, both for kind of her, her smarts, but also for her, like fair is fair. Like this is all we want. And, you know, this guy is a sleazeball and this guy needs to be shown as such. You know, he right. needs to be um, <laughs> recognized as such. And um, again, it gets back to, you know, part of what Hubie and, you know, his dad, you know, um, see her again as like this trailer trash. And, this, you know, not just a girl, but trailer trash girl. And that's just pretty, not that important. Th- that's a fairly subtle undercurrent throughout here. It comes up again and again where... But it's always it's always casual and and in the periphery of the dialogue. But that dynamic between oh you come from the trailer park that does pop up more than how, once in this movie. And how how funny is it that that they're constantly knocking her as being trailer trash, yet they're going to make a fortune off of her likeness, right? And her and her rise to to fame, right? Yep. The, the, 
to knock her a thousand times, but you got a thousand shirts with her face on it behind you selling for ten dollars a pop. The like, dude is a so glorified fucked. boardwalk merch salesman, you know, and he's that is what he he's selling seashells. He's got a, I mean, that's his business. Right. Good, good she, on him. And she's a hundred percent become a cash cow for him. You know, he's cashing in on the merch. He's cashing in on the you know, if you want to use the Harvey Weinstein metaphor, cashing in on the movie they made while they're stuck with the baggage of what he did. Because trust me, that shit was happening in 1985 on movie sets. You know what I mean? Like, that's why, again, I was like, when I when I revisit the movie and I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, this is written by men. It's, like, directed by a man. I'm like, how did this happen? Right. Like, this is beautiful. This gives me hope. You know what I yes. mean? That, yeah. that this kind of movie was created by these people. Um, you know, it was interesting. I watched, uh, I watched it again too, with a commentary from like, it was actually from like around 2008, which is kind of interesting. Oh, excellent. So it was commentary yeah, was, by yeah, Helen Slater and, from, yeah. Yeah, and Yardley Smith. And so, and they hadn't watched the movie since I think 1985. It was wow. really interesting. Like they didn't even <laughs> remember half of it, which was crazy. Um, but you know, they talked a little bit about how looking back on this and kind of feeling like, well, are there ways in which actually even in the film she's being exploited a little bit, you know, by some of the choice of costume, by some of the, you know, um, and, and some of that I think again was like to the point of the story, but I do think it'd be interesting to consider in that way too. Like she still is, you know, there, like you said, it's very fine line to the nudity thing. Right. She still is almost naked that is something i I wanted to talk to you about so you said christian slater's 15 in this do we know or can we find out quickly how old helen slater is in is in this movie she was she was old she was in her 20s this is actually she did this movie right after supergirl i was gonna say this is either before or after supergirl yeah right after supergirl and then i think she said like the next movie was ruthless people or something Mm -hmm. well i saw the supergirl in the imdb so which i've never seen but being and it's always been on my list carl's swooning like i should probably guilty pleasure movie for me man (laughs) as soon as i oh that that helen slater oh okay that that but she's the real Supergirl in this now, movie. She's just... That was one of my questions about this, because Helen Slater, she's she's obviously our lead, Billie Jean. This movie starts right out the gates. And, and obviously, not a criticism of this movie, it's just something that I think you have to examine when you're watching this film, which is right out the gates, right in the beginning... You you get essentially a topless scene with Helen Slater, who I think, even huh? though she's twenty in this, I don't think she's meant to be playing twenty. No, no. she's not. She's playing younger for sure. It, there's 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 a weird thing that you know when you watch as many movies that that are older than nineteen eighty as Carl and I do. There there are moments when you're watching this where you'll get nudity or you'll get a a scene and you have to kind of look glance away or wonder like oh shit okay I, this movie's made in 1978 okay that actress is, has to be 18 but when mm-hmm. you watch the really old stuff sometimes sometimes you wonder it gives you pause watching this i was like oh shit okay hold on if this movie's going to be doing this i need to know how old helen slater is luckily it never it never really crosses the pale but right. this movie is especially early on i felt a little bit lascivious. It definitely catches at your attention with sex. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. She, you know, she, we get 
we oh it's a it's a heat wave so she's always in midriff bearing shirts mm-hmm. and not just midriff bearing shirts but but shirts that are cut to almost yeah Danielle made that observation when she's like oh she's barely wearing that shirt I'm like yep and yeah it's it's Daisy Dukes and Underboob City like for a lot of this movie and that one of the first scenes is let me peel off my dress and here's some side boob for you there it, there is kind of a male gaze in the first yep. ten minutes. It falls away. It definitely yeah, does. It does. But as the movie progresses, a lot of that disappears. But in that first ten minutes, it almost feels like they're grabbing you with sex. They're they're getting your getting your eyes on the screen by like you might see something. You might see something. And I wanted to get your take on that, especially in a movie that's about exploitation of a sexual nature. You know, like th- that was. I wanted to kick it over to you guys and see what you thought. That I thought that. It's an interesting way to start the film, and I was hoping that we could get into it a little bit. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think that I kind of go back and forth because I do think that to a certain degree and actually listening to them, like I think during that scene when they're lying on the um, uh, in the, you know, on the dock in the middle of the mm-hmm. lake um, and she's wearing like the not really a bathing suit right, thing. Right, right. Um, you know, I think Yardley Smith asked her, did you feel, um, did you feel kind of exploited in that moment? And, and Helen Slater didn't really answer her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it kind of, you get that sense of like, that's just what you're asked to do when you're an actress, you know, especially at that time. It's like, that's just what you're asked to do. But I, but I also think that there's something to, like I can think about her character more and that she, she's not, wearing that to try and you know what I mean like she's just wearing the clothes that she has she's just wearing the things that she has and also that fine line of when you start to slut shame someone because they are showing off things you know and um so it's interesting you know I mean I think we'd have to like if I can just look at the movie itself definitely think there's some male goes going on there but that basically is every single film because every single film is directed by a man you know what i mean right. uh, in this time period it's during, the majority of them period, yeah yeah um but i think there's also um but if you can just kind of get yourself into the character i think to her it wasn't it, you know you did that like it's really hot you like take your you know you have to change your clothes you have to you know like i think i think you can kind of see it from the character's point of view of like she's just she's just wearing what she's comfortable in right. you know what i mean and as as a forward-thinking human being in 2020, I love that idea, which is the – you mentioned earlier, like, at what point – where's the line between defending someone who – you know, like, oh, you're being exploited for the male gaze. Where's the line between that and slut-shaming? You know, like, right. at, at what point – if someone feels comfortable in less clothes, if someone really feels sexual and likes to express that from themselves right. – you know, at what point do you go like, well, you really shouldn't be expressing yourself quite so much because you're being exploited. You know, what if that right. if that's that person's vibe, then who are you to dictate their level of expression? That seems more well, like a you, you. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Well, and I mean, again, then we it's also like our culture is one in which a man can take a shirt off, but a woman yeah. can't take a shirt off because that's dirty and wrong and sinful. You yes. know what I mean? So like. Like, if we're going to get into it, we got to get into it. Like, I kind of think that's just bullshit. For you know sure. what I mean? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. I totally agree. Michigan is one of uh, a, a few, a very few cool states where actually there are no differentiating laws between men and women in that regard. Women can go topless in Michigan. That's completely legal. That is a thing that is 
not ever taken advantage of because of wow, our. Wow, I did not know that. Uh, I mean, actually, listener, you might want to double check that before you yeah, start check going. The books, up. But check I'm the books before you go on a parade. This is and... something. This is something that Bird and I got into um, a couple years ago. Maine is another state where that was either on the docket or had already been made legal because that was one of the things we were talking about, which is like, you know, when when I go out running in the summertime, I'd pop my shirt off, go for a run. Yep. And then I realized, like, when I go for a run with Bird, I, that she doesn't do that. She's got, you know, sports bra, usually a shirt, even if it's 90 degrees or 100 degrees, yeah. which is intense. And I'm like, I was, you know, I was like, oh, you know what? That's not fair. That's kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. And I think we looked into it again. Double check me, listener. But I'm almost a, I'm almost 100 percent sure that in Michigan that women can go shirtless. That's 100 percent legal. I'm pretty sure. But again, that's like one of those things that comes up in movies like this that deal with these themes. I wanted to maybe it's just because we did it recently on another episode, Carl. But I wanted to throw this over to you. Um, obviously, Straw Dogs, 1971, over a decade mm-hmm. before this, but. That that sort of we first noticed this phenomenon being used by Peckinpah, which is oh the male gaze, yeah, turning mm-hmm. it against you, using the male gaze to indict the viewer. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe perfected as a technique in funny games with violence, but I think in some ways this movie does that same thing. And I, I wanted to. I know this is a very film nerd rabbit hole to go down, but this is something I wanted to explore because I think this movie gives it an, gives us an opportunity to do so. At what point? At what point does the subtlety of your message become too subtle to be effective? Because at the beginning of this movie, when we're getting all this lascivious looking at Billie Jean and and oh she's got her top, it, the beginning of this movie is a little bit leering. It's it it just is, and again mm-hmm. that goes away. It it becomes a whole other thing by the end. But I'm wondering if that's intentional. You know, mm-hmm. it 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 gets you looking at Billie Jean. It gets you kind of like panting with the rest of the characters in the cast mm-hmm. over this like scantily clad twenty something. Well, any time that they're interviewing a male when they're talking about Billie Jean, it's always like, I'd like to go on a date with right, that I, one. I think she's gorgeous, Billie Jean, call me. It's that sort of stuff. And and then yeah. you you go from that pretty seamlessly into Oh yeah, you'll you'll pay for your education. It'll be one mm-hmm. lesson at a time. Like it it it's dis- not to not to be too vulgar with it, but it literally is just like it's an old man pressing money into yeah. a young girl's hand, saying that yeah. scene is disgusting. You know, as- it, it, oh. it, it is. It is the the scene the scene with the father in the attic when he's basically saying mm-hmm. like we're gonna get to know each other really well, mm-hmm. and, and all but saying like we're gonna you're gonna start fucking me for money, and seeing Billie Jean's. Fear and and knowing that she's only in this situation to defend her badly bullied and abused brother, the the metaphors are hard to miss. You know, like mm-hmm. a, a a an oppressed class, an impoverished person going to someone wealthy who has wronged them, and then only being further victimized, and then right. in defending themselves, are yet further victimized and forced to flee. You know, like seeking extreme measures in order to to obtain 
any small modicum of restitution mm-hmm. for their original wrong. This is a really powerful film. Dressed up as a fun eighties romp, <laughs> yeah. you know, like and it, and it is that as well, absolutely. <laughs> um, and you know, it's like braver, it's a much braver Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It is. It's a. It's a. It's Ferris Bueller's Day Off with something to say. You know, mm-hmm. like, and I, God forbid, I take anything away from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but this movie does not deserve forty five percent on IMDb. Is no. what I am saying. Dude, synth scores and lycra and short hair and one fucking earring and everyone's got fingerless <laughs> gloves. Are you shitting me? This is a hundred percent. Oh, the so wizard good. deserves forty five percent. But this movie is a little bit like the wizard, just with fewer video games and a you know interesting plot and a badass female lead character and yeah. So and Baby Slater, dude, like um. By, baby slate. <laughs> by the way, um, Carl, I cannot let this pass without mentioning it. I'm, I, okay, ba- we pop the register open. Uh, Christian Slater comes in. He pops that register and finds himself a gun. Oh, look. oh God. It immediately points it yes! right at his own head. <laughs> Thank you like, so you much. There, step one. Christian Slater, step, step one. Bud. Remove gun from drawer. Step two. Stare down the barrel. It's like, bro. No, 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 no. Okay. You know, it was so it was so bad I couldn't even say anything <laughs> about it. And Danielle has watched enough movies with me now that she knows if there's any gun handling going on that I'm going to like Yell about pinpoint it. every single right. like thing that they're doing wrong and she just looked at me like i even know that's not the right thing right right. yeah but he doesn't he's a a 15 year old kid that's true now look man you know that i'm not one to give praise to movies that don't deserve it for sure and there's a very select few films that i openly loathe but there is one really fucking horrible film that does this moment really well i point your attention and listeners are you gonna bling ring me i'm gonna bling ring you man i'm glad you knew the the scene where they're fucking around with that gun and pointing it at each other and pointing each other's heads very much feels like this christian slater moment and tell me the bling rig did not do it well they did dude i've purged most of that film from my brain because (laughs) it's so horrible you're lying if you tell me i remember there was a gun and people in it you're crazy and that it was kind of directed by sophia coppola This film goes mm-hmm. from like a yeah. like a like a episode one of Stranger Things, you know, where they're like, "Oh man, I gotta go down to the arcade," and and oh yeah, well I don't know what I'm gonna do, Billy G. It goes from like a like a podunk sort of Disney esque child thing, like coming of age story. It goes from that to shooting a guy, not knowing if he's dead, and we're on the run. In like, mm-hmm. I said it earlier, thirty seconds. It's like sixty seconds. This movie goes from not serious at all to life and death stakes, and I love the rapidity with which it scales up. You know, but at yes. the same time, it keeps that fun flavor mixed in. We've got hundred percent Lisa Simpson packing her bag to go, and she's like <laughs> oh, just stuffing it full of marbles, toys. 
Uh, all of her clothes, Which a come... dog, part of a carousel. <laughs> the marbles <laughs> come way in handy, though. We got to give her that. Yeah, they, oh, do. they sure do. But that's the the great thing about this flick that that I've been trying to wrap my head around is it, it's it's got that perfect like Neapolitan ice cream blend of of flavors where it's right. You can all these things are are here for you to enjoy. But at the end of the day, it is an '80s kids like adventure flick. Right. It, with all of this other stuff going on. I, I but they're it's also crazy. Kids. I mean, they're also kids. Yes. Right. Yes. No, and they're just like, you know, I mean, I think that's what's interesting. You see kind of how each of those characters also deals with it along the way. So you have like Ophelia who keeps talking about, oh, when we go back home, right? She's like, oh, there's a ding on the car. Sure. And she's like, well, when you go back home, and she has that realization, we're not going back home, right? This yep. is not just another fun thing, right? right? And then you have Putter who is. You know, just, I mean, obviously has a terrible home life with her mom, yes. right? And so this is better than that, right? This is much more, you know, and she's also just such a, again, she's such a strong kid for, you know, yes. being someone who does not have a good home life. Um, they become, you a know, family. and then you see, yeah, 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 but yeah, absolutely. And you see how Binks is like, sees this excitement of this lifestyle. Right. And right. and is the one who ends up being shot. Right. Because of yes. the kind of recklessness of that. Right. And then you see Billie Jean, who, again, has got this purpose and got this reason, but she gets caught up in it, too, sometimes. Right. You know, she still has to create this kind of idol that she becomes. Right. Yeah. And has that really those powerful moments at the end. Kind yes. Of coming to terms with that and letting go of that. You know, I mean, there it's. It so comes from the characters too. So yeah, it's fun and it's silly, but it also comes from those characters and who they are in that moment. You know, they never lose who they are. Right. That, exactly. That's one of my favorite things about Billie Jean is how there are a couple times in the movie where she ends up buying her own press for for short periods, and you can see sure. her get caught up in the thing. But but what made the eighteen moment where she goes to save the kid is a big example of that. Oh, you where... want to talk about shit getting real? That is an mm-hmm. insane bit of filmmaking right there. That's a crazy moment in this movie. I'm I'm utterly in love with that. Let me see if I can. Let me jump to my note on that, and we'll jump ahead and talk about that really quick. That yep. was wild. Um, yeah, here it is. Okay, so. Basically, we're we're jumping ahead to like the the three quarters ish mark of this movie. Billie Jean, they've been on the road for a while. The media's blown her up. They're selling T-shirts. She's like doing secondhand radio interviews. It's kind of actually, in a way, the the Bonnie and Clyde arc. Um, mm-hmm. sure. for, yeah, for listeners who don't know, Bonnie and Clyde were American outlaws wildly unsuccessful terrible bank robbers they mostly like robbed <laughs> convenience stores they were really shitty outlaws they did not they were not effective they were not pros but they were popular they captivated the american psyche people like they would they would drive into town and do radio interviews and then blow out before the cops yeah. showed up the Amer- americans were just fascinated with bonnie and clyde they died really badly they died Horrible deaths, essentially just massacred by police. They 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 each weighed like sixty pounds more at the time of death, Ugh. just from lead. It's but, bad. Yeah, they, yeah. they died. yeah, but they were they were also because they were social criminals. Like they were, yes. they were seen as fighting against the big banks That's and right. fighting for the people 
who didn't have any money. Yes, they they were mm-hmm. both depression era criminals. They start both of them lived in like Bonnie was actually doing kind of okay, but Clyde grew up in like shanty town shithole hell. So when they started being outlaws, most of America was in the Great Depression at that point. They looked at these outlaws and they're like, "Hey, they're taking everyone's in Hooverville, right? Yeah. Right, they're taking something back from the man, which we see in this. You know, you get some of that dynamic. But so we're at the about the three quarter mark, and and you know, Billy Jean and Co have basically pulled up to probably do like a junk food run or something, and Billy Jean and Putter are hanging out in the car. And some little kids, I'm talking like between 7 and 10 years old, walk up to the car and say, hey, this kid we know, I can't remember the name, but hey, this kid we know needs help. Hey, are, are you Billy Jean? And Putter leans forward from the back seat and she's like, you got it, kid. What's up? You know, and they say, like, our, our friend needs help. And when we cut back to the car, you know, Christian Slater and Ophelia have come out of, or uh, Binks and Ophelia have come out of where, you know, wherever with their they were for, buying her wig. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> for the final plan, which is awesome that they're that they actually take the time to set the the plan up in like peripheral details in previous scenes. But the car's empty. And then we get this really cool scene of Billie Jean walking, right? We we got the cool 80s score. I think this is one of the one of the 27 and a Pat half Benatar's moments. Yeah, when they're rolling he will be no, it's Pat Benatar. What I, I said Pat Benatar. What did I say? I don't know. You did, but I'm saying no. I, but you also oh. have to understand that, you know, 12-year-old Leslie, also, this is Pat Benatar. Oh, right. Right. Yes. Like. For, please forgive me. I am I'm a child of the 90s, and I have only grunge in my brain. So I know that I, I, know, we, I know Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. But was Pat Benatar part of? I have a Pat Benatar album on vinyl downstairs, but it's from her solo career. Was she part of a band before she was the inimitable Pat Benatar, or did she just rock it under her own? She just rocked it. Oh yeah, and she had the short hair, and she was the rocker, and she was definitely like very much that kind of icon for like little girls she, of like for little girls who wanted to be rebels or she, she, she rebel. just another runaway is that pat benatar just another runaway sorry i'm not i don't mean to croon 80s at you but <laughs> now i'm not sure i'm not sure about that <laughs> listener if you know drop us a line at measuring flicks podcast Corey Hart. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that was a male singer. I think it could be honestly. I I don't know. I need to brush up on my Pat Benatar. All I know is that she is the music of our Messiah, yes, <laughs> Billie Jean. Um, so I I love this though because we get this really we get this scene where where Billie Jean is. Here's my full note because this this scene made me melancholy and then hopeful. And then frightened. It's a really interesting yeah. emotional arc because you start with with nostalgia in, in 2020. As a viewer in 2020, you start with nostalgia and sadness because I miss this dream. This is a trope of a film of a certain era, which is mm-hmm. the rebellious punk messiah who will come and save the youth and save us all, who will stand up for the for the downtrodden and the abused and who with their righteous tunes and their piercings and their leather jacket and their devil may care attitude will will like 
take us to this weird slouching, you know, new Bohemia, right? <laughs> like I that was a very real vibe in movies. And this is 85, but this carries well into the 90s. The 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 cool punk outsider who will lead their uprising. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason that in 1991 or 1992, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" became the biggest song in the land. You know, it became a song about teenage uprising. You know, load up mm-hmm. on guns, bring your friends. You know, it's it became an anthem for like this do, the doomed youth. And I hate to say it, but in 2020, you you look back at. The, the span of time between 85 and now and you realize that that never came to fruition that never happened I think that probably I feel the same way about this as a lot of people feel about the hippie movement in the 60s you know mm-hmm. it's like here's Woodstock and dude free love and we're gonna change the world and we stopped the Vietnam War but then it fizzles out and this weird mm-hmm. this weird corporatocracy just keeps churning its wheels mm-hmm. you know like I, I it made me this scene makes me sad because I think in some ways this dream has died in 2020 or has faded. And and I think it's it faded, go, I think. Yeah, it it goes in cycles. This will come back, but I think right now this is one of those moments where this doesn't seem feasible anymore and I look back at it with a sort of like mournful nostalgia. So I start with that, but then you get the crowd. Hey Billy Billy Jean, you got a gun? Let me see your gun, Billy Jean. And all those voices are male. I think this is really important, too. Because the only character in this whole thing who's fascinated and who fetishizes guns is the only person in their gang who's used one. Mm-hmm. You know, Binks has gotten mm-hmm. a taste of shooting a person. I've been reading a lot of Punisher comics lately, and I'm watching a Ken yeah, Burns documentary on the... Uh... And when you see the Binks fetishizing the gun, did you see that guy freeze? Man, I got the drop on him. He's talking about a cap gun. You he know? Never, almost never doesn't have that cap gun out of his hand. It's constantly mm-hmm. in his hand. Yes. And it's a toy. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's the whole, yeah. They all are. You know what I mean? The way that they're treated, the weight with which mm-hmm. they're utilized, all the guns in this movie feel like toys. Even the sniper at the end. He took a pot shot past a child to shoot a girl. That's what he thought he was doing. Mm-hmm. You right. know, like, that is a that is a person that is not thinking very hard or is treating this death dealing weapon in their hands very lightly and that's very disturbing binks becomes in a lot of ways throughout this movie a disturbing character but before we dig in too much to to binks i just want to stay with the with billy jean marching towards the house of the abused child the crowd wants to know if she's got her gun subtextually the crowd wants to know if they're gonna get to see somebody die that's what they're following her for. They're following her to see violence. This this is where this scene could go Perhaps. dark. Well, I, I think that Billie Jean turns the crowd in the end. Sure. I think that that's part of the magic of the movie because it starts with a lot of dudes following her going, let's see your gun. Do you have your gun? I want right. to see your symbol of authority. How are you going to assert <clears throat> your will over this violent man? You're just a young girl. So they all assume automatically that she's going to use his language, his tools, the 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 runes of his world, if you will, which are weapons and violence. And he's beating his kid, so how, how is she going to beat him away from his kid? That's the mentality of the mob. And I think the beauty of the scene is that Billie Jean, 
forces them all to cognitively reframe because she walks in and she's scared shitless and she says i'm yeah oh yeah there's this crazy moment where we're hearing pat benatar and then all of a sudden they stop in front of that trashy little house and the song cuts out and you just hear a child getting beaten up you just all you hear is domestic abuse and you see a little girl and a bunch of children standing outside looking at a house. And boy, howdy, do you feel powerless, you know? It's a beautiful moment of filmmaking because you feel small. You feel really small. You know, you're standing with Billy Jean and you're surrounded by a crowd of hundreds, but it's all kids and no one's got a weapon. And that's a big drunk man in there. What are you going to do? Yep. What are any of these kids going to do? And now you're do? in the room with them. And fuck. Yeah, and she, she steps in, and now it's a little girl and a cowering child and a big drunk man with a bottle in his hand. And a belt. And a belt. And a belt. You, he starts yeah. wrapping the belt around his hand again. You mm-hmm. do not have fuck. to be alive on Earth very long to know that that is not a good place to be. You know what I mean? Like, I had a great childhood, but by 12 years old, I knew you did not want to be in a room with, like, a sweating, drunk, angry man. That was a, that's a very dangerous place to be. And he steps forward, and she's like, I'm Billy Jean. He goes, no, you ain't. Get the hell out of here. I'll whip your ass, and you you piece of shit. And he's wrapping his belt, and he's drinking his beer, and the kid is crying. She's, you know, Billy Jean told him to go get his shit, and the dad's like, stay where you are. Then he looks out the windows. Mm-hmm. And this is why I love this, because fucking amazing. he doesn't see a mob with torches and and pitchforks or guns and knives. He doesn't see an army outside. He doesn't see weapons. He doesn't see violence. He just sees people looking in at him and judging him for who he is and what he's done. And that is enough. Because it's his, It's so many people are seeing him. You know? Mm-hmm. If, if all the world could look as one at injustice... God, does it just wilt and crumble because it's cowardly. Jesus Christ, you are her. You know, yep. like, it, yep. dude, this movie just makes you want to just stand in your living room and just rip guitar solos out at the world. I You're know. just like... <laughs> And also, you got to give it to this guy who's playing the, the, the child abuser. Good performance. Yeah. He does. Yeah. A- Actually, yeah. Yardley Smith talked about him in the commentary about what a good actor he was. That yeah. She worked with him later. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, he's still a working actor, I guess. <laughs> I, I hope all these people are working. Honestly, 
that's, I know, right? They're all doing they're all doing great work in this, but we talked about this, Carl, when you were back oh, back when you were playing Uncle Ernie. But like it, and when we talk about this with Tom Hardy as well, it is very difficult to play evil people well. It's easy to twirl yeah. your mustache, but if you're gonna really Absolutely. bring it, you kind of gotta feel it. And if you're gonna feel it, you're gonna feel bad. So that's work. That's work. And I think this dude's doing some work here. You know what I mean? You know, I absolutely do. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, you can tell when they're putting the work in, when they don't have to really say anything, it's just their presence that, that you immediately understand what type of person they, they are. Cause you don't right. see, you don't see a whole lot at first. It's just him, the way he fills the room and fills the space, the way his body is, you immediately fucking know. Those interior, yeah, those interior shots remind me like of of like. Frank- I felt like we were in Seven or something. I was going to say like, Sin City. We're now in, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like suddenly we're we're in a freaking, um, like, like a, a Morgan like a, Freeman detective r- drama or something. Or a Frank Miller Noir. Yeah, I'm with you totally. Yeah. Um, so God, let me see what else we got here. Um, some of the so some of the female characters in here that I. Whose performances I particularly love. Obviously, Yardley Smith has some of my favorite lines. One of my favorites ever in this movie is, "When do I get my diaphragm?" I think that is. Yes. <laughs> well, you have to talk about what leads up to that too, though. I do. Yes. And this I kn- is another thing that I love about this movie. I I I couldn't believe that they they were took it so head on. Go ahead, yeah, take us into it, Leslie. Walk yeah, us through this so, scene. I love this. I mean, it was. It's- it comes shortly after that scene. So they, as they're kind of leaving the boy's house, they're spotted by a couple. And of course, this is Texas. So of course, the guy has a gun and he says, and there's a reward on their head. So $10,000. Yeah. Starts shooting at them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, you know, shoots their back window, shoots. So then they're, you know, on a car chase as this guy in his giant truck is, you know, shooting out the window at them. And they finally, you know, it was a big crash. A big, the whole truck falls over. They get away, but they stop. And, you know, and, and uh, Billy Jean says, uh, Putter, you're bleeding. You're, you've been shot. Right. You know, and Putter's like, no, I haven't. You know, no. And they realize, no, she just got her period. Right. She just got her, she started menstruating for the first time. Right. right. She's supposed to be like 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and Billy Jean is like, joyful about this she's like yes. this it's happened well potter and is then, too she goes course, she goes finally yeah and then you know you have base of course it's like gross and billy right. says no it's wonderful yeah a hero's in movie and this is again why this is so important because again you gotta imagine me at 12 years old and seeing a positive portrayal that you getting your period is a beautiful thing and it's not something to be ashamed of or mm-hmm. to feel embarrassed about or that it's dirty or gross. Like, it's a wonderful thing. Right. Was like, obviously, I didn't know at the time, but I got to tell you, it definitely impressed upon me. You know, like, yeah. this is the kind of thing we need more of. See, that's, I, I could not... Yes. I mean, obviously, look, I'm I'm a dude. I cannot possibly have any any real personal attachment to this moment. But as a thinking, hopefully thoughtful and and, you know, open minded dude who's aware of issues like this in 2020 seeing this. I just um, I just recently rewatched Ginger Snaps. Awesome horror movie, Canadian horror movie. It's a werewolf flick. 
You've so seen, good. You've seen it. Okay, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Sam, I, it was, I've watched Ginger Snaps. It's so good because most of, and one of the things that makes it so good is a lot of the times the werewolf story is a metaphor for male puberty. Oh, you get hairy. Oh, you get aggressive <laughs> and violent. And oh, you can't control your urges. Watching Canadian filmmakers twist this into, twist that werewolf narrative into a story about. Uh, like a feminine coming of age about a, a mm-hmm. girl who's going to get her first period. Watching the werewolf story twisted into that, and and real, you know, like watching Ginger Snaps. Even now, I've seen it a couple times. Watching it, I do get a little uncomfortable, and I like that the film confronts me with that discomfort. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. the, the movie's like, you know, oh, okay, this is something you should probably look at. This is something you should probably know. Man, like mm-hmm. Jesus, you, you you know we how many how many movies will you watch where a, a dude shoots one hundred and fifty thousand you know one hundred and fifty people dead? Or they talk about a boner and jerking off all the time, right? Right, like right. fifty thousand conversations about boners and uh, dude, I was, I was jacking off, but but the second you're like, oh yeah, she's on her period, you're like, bro, so you gotta stop, you're grossing me out, uh, uh, take it out of my movie, uh, you know, to it's dumb, it's super dumb. Hey. Yeah, and it's just that's totally a construct of our society, right? Absolutely. Our society has told us that it's gross and dirty, and we shouldn't talk about it. And Completely. you know, I I loved, I absolutely loved the the reaction of Billie Jean here. You, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, shut up, Binks. It's wonderful, and she, you're right. There's so she's twenty, so she's not technically a child actor, but for a fairly young actor, the expressiveness in her face is really remarkable. Well, I love it's a, you can tell just in that moment that they've had this conversation a bunch yes. of don't worry, honey, it's gonna happen. It'll we they never say that on film, but you get the sense that they have had that conversation, right? And she's and to happen in this moment, it's just so wonderful. There's there's something. Oh, go ahead. Well, we've so we've just had that emotional roller coaster too. And we've just had this like yes. really like tense, yes. you know, action sequence that also serves like from a storytelling, you know, point to like, you know, this this <laughs> breath of fresh air, of yes. laughter, right? It gets us out of that. Yeah, and yeah. That's also yep. really brilliant, like structurally, right? Yeah. Well, you have you have car chase or you have child abuse, car mm-hmm. chase, gunfight, period. You know, like literally, the period is the button on that scene, which is uh, amazing. Um, well, just seconds before you do panic because they say, "Oh my God, you're shot! You you have blood on you!" you and my stomach fell out of my ass. Hundred percent. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, no. I went straight to you Pulp Fiction. Oh shit! Enough. I yes. shot Marvin in the face. I was like, "Fuck!" There's a oh no, not her. Anybody but her. Yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, there was something about this scene that I that stuck in my head, and it's it's the it's the aftermath. It's when they're sitting at the end of the dock, and uh, and um, Putter is wrapped. She's wrapped in like it's not a towel; it's like a gigantic blanket. You know, <laughs> you get the sense it's the liner from the trunk of the car. Pretty I much, think. pretty much, yeah. It's like a trunk liner slash tent rain cover <laughs> slash wool. But yeah, she's in this like giant this giant thing, and she's just wrapped up. Billy, uh, she's like sitting cross-legged at the end of the at the end of the dock. It seems like that she's just been either washed mm-hmm. in. I'm, they're in Texas, so I'm assuming this is the Gulf of Mexico, like the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, Went for a dip. But I this this is hard to you know. We've just watched Midsummer. Obviously, you and I are very uh, occult and ritual minded in, at the moment, Carl. But like, there is something yeah. very profound about 
this girl getting her first period and then being washed by another woman, this messianic Billie Jean figure mm-hmm. being washed by another woman in the sea and then dried separate from the group. They're, they're sharing this moment woman to woman because we get the sense that Billie Jean has already cro- passed this milestone. Oh, you yeah. know, um, and they're, you know, Billie Jean's, she's drying Putter's hair and she says, I just want you to take it easy and, and stretch out in the back of the car. And this is when we get the great Putter line where she goes, you know, the, the second that Billie Jean finishes, she's like, I just want you to take it easy, stretch out in the back of the car. And she dries her hair and pulls the towel off and, and Putter goes, when can I get my diaphragm? And she kind of laughs, <laughs> at her. But that, you know, I think that this is a very... This is not just a laugh. This is a pretty thoughtful moment in this movie. Far be it from me, Amanda, just prattle on about it. Leslie, did you have any thoughts about this? Specifically Uh, the the separating from the group, the washing in the sea, the the, what what was your take on this little this little denouement to this highly tense moment? I I love it. Yeah, no, I absolutely I agree. I mean, there's this kind of notion of her, this very like maternal kind of thing that she does. Because again, you remember Putter's mom is not a nurturing person, right? right. We, we really, we haven't even seen her, but we've heard a nice slap and, you know, earlier and, and know what that is like. So you have, you know, this very maternal thing you have again, like the notion that this is, um, this is an important part of her life. This is an important part of being a woman, right? This is an important moment. And, um, but I also think that again, with like her, you know, when can I get a diaphragm? And the fact that Putter has this, like, she's the one that says most of the fucks and like, she has right. most of the bad words. Right. She's the youngest character. She's supposed to be like 13 and, but she was 20, by the way, when she made this movie. Wow. Yeah. I know. Um, Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood's a funny place, eh? <laughs> um, but she, you know, but there's, there's again this this desire when you're young to be an adult yes. to do the adult things there's this you know like cuz you and part of it comes from the fact that you're not taken seriously you're not yes. valued you're not seen as a human being right you're seen as a kid who doesn't matter or is just extension or like is supposed to just do what they're told, you know or you know again being a girl like on top of that you're just supposed yeah. to be you know do whatever a guy tells you and so all of that is inside of it. You know, all of that is underneath it. This, this notion that like, um, they want to be heard. They want to be recognized as human beings. And so, you know, I think all this like adult stuff that she does when really she's not at all. Right. She's not obviously not ready to get a diet. <laughs> 13 now. years old. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing <laughs> as hell though. It totally like, yeah. is so sweet and endearing and wonderful. She want you know, like that. She just wants to be seen as a human being. Yes. Right. right? She, she wants to take her place at the table for sure. Yeah. The step, the, the step into adulthood. It's, I mean, it's fucking incredible. And the, the, the repeated comparison is only positive and favorable and flattering, obviously, yes. but this is a very Goonies moment for me. Yeah. Like little kids wanting to be adult yeah. and in some ways earning that adulthood. How many adults do you know that have had a gun fired at them? Yeah. Like, I mean, Carl, have you ever had a gun fired at you? Oh, fucking yeah, man. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I have to. Okay, so yeah. we're kind of we're kind of an unusual set of humans, though. So lived in Baltimore, was in the military. I've had plenty of guns shot at me. I mean, but how many how many adults actually stand up for someone who needs to be stood up for? That's right? hardly any. That's a better front, metric. Better metric you know? for sure. Yeah. And how many adults will just kind of look the other way? Right. This is yes. 
Yes, good good point, Leslie. Absolutely. Like, this is coming of age in the best possible way because the way that these kids come of age is by asserting asserting like their their morals and principles, which you know, there's this has happened before. Carl, we've watched movies like this for the show. I would argue that Sid and Nancy's about a movie. It is a movie about people who are standing up for their morals and principles, and they just do heroin and fuck each other and You're die right. lonely deaths have in really, New York. They just have totally different principles and morals. Right. Than, than, right. Yeah. I, I, but they, they, their coming-of-age story here is all by caring for each other. The, these kids are all growing up really fast, and as they approach their their the adulthood that's been foisted upon them, they look and they go, okay, well, it looks like we're going to be forced into these these roles of, of, of consequence and authority. Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus, there's a, there's a manhunt, and the media wants to know what we have to say and what we think. Okay, mm-hmm. so what does that mean? That means we should probably defend people who are getting a shit deal, right? Isn't that what it means to yeah. be an adult? All right, we should probably stand up for our fellow man and try and do right by as many people as we can and make sure everyone gets treated fairly because that's what it means to be an adult, right? Like, mm-hmm. damn, 85. Yeah, no, kidding, right? This is a really Minus good... Minus the Reaganomics, we need those kids. Right. Those kids are all adults now. Where you be at? Right, for sure. I mean, of course, we're going to get the moment very shortly where we have to cut the cast down. Right, but plus, she the fact that they have to take, you know, you mentioned this, like, they have to take care of each other, right? Right. Like, they're trying to take care of each other. And part of what she starts to realize is the reality of their situation, right? And she has to, I mean, she says it, I think, in the scene, right? She's like, I have to, I have to turn them in. I have, they can't be in on this because of the life and death stakes it, because they could get shot. There was, right? yeah, Billie Jean just was in her first gunfight as someone was trying to collect the bounty on her head. Like yeah. this is for real. And she's, and for yeah, a she moment did. she thought one of her friends was dead, which is enough to make you flip that switch. Yes, yeah. for sure. Like it's, it's completely an, exp- you don't want to see the band break up, obviously, but you right. completely excuse it because she's doing the right thing. You know? But the brilliant thing is it happens at exactly the right moment where I kind of feel like it was getting a little bit like I'm, ju- I'm I'm interested in everyone. But at this point, when she turns them in, I'm ready to just it's crowded. get down to let's do the 608. Let's fair is fair. Let's it is perfect. It's perfectly executed in the just when I'm like ready. OK, I'm ready for some resolution now with Billy Jean yes. and her brother. They give it to you. They trim it down. Right. And now you have Peter Coyote the police, and they have their plan, and we are now into the final minutes of this movie in a perfect way. It's paced perfectly. It's yeah. tightly written. It's funny. The characters are fully fleshed out. I didn't need any more time with anyone. Mm-hmm. I got no. I got everything I needed. That's a rare thing in a 90-minute And we, have, we even introduce a brand-new character, like the halfway point. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Which you haven't talked about. Because no, we sure haven't. Because I mean, the, the hostage. The hostage. Yeah. I know. Well, it, the problem was I jumped to the very end. I jumped Jumped to I know. the, I jumped. <laughs> he, is, he is like he is the kid that I wanted to be in the eighties. He is my window in. He's got the reel to reel setup. He's got the the not just the VHS. He has the Betamax recorder. Wow. He's got. He has. If you think that I mentioned <laughs> Ferris Bueller earlier, if you think Ferris Bueller's room was cool, this oh. kid makes Ferris Bueller look like he lives in the trailer. Oh, Carl Michael. Hartley drops the hammer and drops the mic 
and swaggers off to fuck Ferris Bueller's girlfriend. Fuck you, Ferris Bueller. Fuck you. Get me to a burn unit, cause Carl's spitting napalm on your ass. Roasted, Ferris Bueller. Roasted. Right. All I right. Think. So we have he to jump back and work our way forward really quick so that we can so that Lloyd makes sense. Yes. But um. so basically but but Lloyd is a really amazing character. I'm glad you brought him up. Um. This is what happens when you start at the beginning of the movie and then you jump to the third act and you skip the whole middle. Um, Welcome to measuring flicks. Yeah, right? Like, the listeners are like, ah, finally, they've gotten to the end, the second act. <laughs> well, we don't want to just follow the structure. We want to create our own structure. Right. If you guys, you guys know how the – if you watched the movie, you know the movie. Now we're shuffling it up for you and doing it again. Um, so basically, we get the – we get the 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 cop ambush drop where she she first goes and tries to collect her six hundred and eight bucks. Um, the shitty old rapist pedophile man and his son Hubie try and like short circuit the whole thing and and mm-hmm. catch her. Hubie gets need sterile on an escalator, which is hysterically <laughs> funny for the second time. Yes, second time. dude, just just those. You know that his nuts were like two times normal size, and then she just. Like the left they're, one popped this They're now this in a time. glass case in his grandmother's like, For sure, <laughs> like hutch. Yes, like he's got he's got like marbles in there. You know they're <laughs> counterbalanced. Yep. She wrecked his day and every future generation on that escalator, which is so satisfying. Um, we get their bulletins going out. Um, Ophelia has a great moment when she sees her picture on TV in the like the wide release bulletin where she just. She has this perfect valley girl moment when they're flashing all their pictures like wanted criminals, maybe armed and dangerous. And Ophelia sees her face and she goes, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the perfect. The gang is out running around. Now they're widely wanted, so they're trying to lay low. So they drive into a rich neighborhood. They're running out of food. They need gas money. They got Mm -hmm. 13 cents left. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Well, they got a bag of chips for dinner because they only had 78 cents left. That's right. So they're like, okay, we got to hole up. We got to rob a house. Um, So they roll through a rich neighborhood, and they look for a mansion with the lights off, and they finally find one. They go inside. They eat some chicken that doesn't taste like chicken, but hey, when you're rich, food ain't supposed to taste like what it is, which is a great line in this movie as well. Um, so they they pop into this they pop into this like abandoned house, and they Billy Jean starts looking around. You know, the rest of the crew's downstairs, eat, gorging themselves because they're all we got to remember these are all preteens who haven't eaten in like you know three Man. hours, so they're yeah. on the verge of death for sure, like calorie deficit. So so Billy Jean rolls around and you start to wonder whether or not our outlaws have broken into like the Adams family's haunted McMansion. <laughs> I have to tell you, we're watching the movie and my husband hasn't seen it. He's like, is it about to get weird? Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. That's what it's I thought like too. Scary music and like a howl of a werewolf yes! in the distance. Well, wait, they, Billy Jean starts opening doors and you see like candelabras. This is, this is where and... Elvira lives. Like they broke into Elvira's house. <laughs> it's like they brought, yeah, they, they walked onto the set of like Elvira's movie Macabre and you're like, I'm not, and Carl, you have you and I having watched Tommy, I'm aware that sometimes movies that you think you've got a handle on 
will just fucking go Look, left yep. on you all they of a will, sudden. They will abandon you and leave you alone in the desert. Which I'm with nothing from but time to deep pollen to yeah. rub in your eyeball. <laughs> from time to time, I'm fine with it, man. If I've got an, baked beans to be thrown out of the television yes, set. Yes, if you. you're gonna if you're gonna shoot beans out of a cannon at me and gonna have you know Anne Margaret writhing on a body pillow. Fine, I don't care if your movie makes sense. Just show me something really interesting. I was waiting for Billy Jean to just go fully off the rails. I'm like, okay, is this like is this like a dust from dust till dawn situation? Are we gonna yeah, have vampires? vampires. <laughs> like suddenly, Billy, yeah, Billy Jean's a weird vampire movie I didn't know about. We don't have much time left, but I guess we could pack a second film into this, you know. Um, and then we kind of do get that. We get. Mm-hmm. Well, we we it ultimately ends up being Lloyd, but we see like pretty like you know it's like the stepbrothers line, you know, like oh, I'm I'm not mad that his mask's not movie quality, but you know like the mat it's like a Wolfman demon thing mask in a suit in like yeah. an '80s suit. Yes, like the it's like full full suit. He's got I like that the mouthpiece and jaw is a separate piece, but the, like the Fu Manchu beard. And the upper part of the mask are of a piece as well. It's like the way the mask is constructed is hysterical to me. And also really well done because suddenly you think you're in a monster movie for about Mm -hmm. two minutes. And then she, of course, you know, you get the the cool like bashed in the guts with a guitar stock, which, by the way, listener, this is a as a PSA. We see guitars being used in films as weapons a lot, and this is a PSA to all of you. If you hit someone with the head of a guitar, even on accident, you are going to bust their face open so bad that guitars are not something to fuck around with. They are hard and pointy and heavy and will wreck your day. I have scars on my body from accidentally getting tagged in like the cheeks and face by just a headstock. Don't fuck around with guitars. They're for real. Sorry. And th- the more you know. But um, I love I love when he pulls his mask off because Billie Jean, dude, she's ready for war. She's got like, yep. all right, Wolfman, I was not ready to suddenly be in a horror film, but I've got, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> but I, what I love is like she's got that like angry like Amazon yep. face. The second he pulls that mask off, and I'm, again, like, nothing but, like, mad props and love to Billie Jean, dude. Her face goes immediately to, like, oh, you're cute. You want to, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, hey, bye. <laughs> dude, she goes she goes from, like, I'll fuck you up to, like, I'll thank you in two seconds. And the, the switch is so fast and so funny. I I just immediately want them to be a couple. You know what I mean? Like, the second that reveal happens, you're like, all right, this guy's kind of strange. And mm-hmm. she know, says that, too. She, said, yeah, she really says, strange. you're really weird. You're really like, weird. And he says, you're Billy Jean. And I'm like, Aw. I know it, it's like the ultimate meet cute for sure. So 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 this kid does a thing that I really like, which Lloyd. is yeah. Yeah. And so it, it so we have the trailer park. We have the the mediocre well off father and and his shell shop and then you have super rich kid right but i love what they do with with lloyd and they did this a lot in the 80s with like ferris bueller was sort of a well-off character but they do it even better here with lloyd that 
it shows you that yes, he's rich, he has all of these things, but he's still this broken kid with asthma whose right. dad isn't around. It's like money doesn't always mean that that you're happy or that you that you have everything. You might be surrounded by but, the laser disc player. But, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> but, but listen, at the end of the day, who's to say like whose pain is pain is pain, brother? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So I but I dig that I dig that we have we have him here to to show us that that everyone has shit to deal with and yes. they 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 come to terms with that and Billie Jean helps him and he helps her it's it's a uh, I don't know but but yes listen, bro however okay I'm with you yeah. I'm with you Carl pain is pain and everyone suffers but yeah, I get it but you know hold on and all that no no no, no it's face. it's not that it's not that if you wanted to like help Billy Jean out maybe maybe up top you let the uh you let the wanted outlaws know that you are the district attorney's son because they go from I mean, like maybe. kind of a bad situation to like utterly fucked up shit's creek and like Mm-hmm. But that he's night, also dude. like 16 and maybe not thinking. Like, yeah, he doesn't want to. He knows, he knows if he tells them that they're not going right. to take him, right? Yeah, so, that's right, yeah. You know. I just. No, I get it. I no. loved that moment so much when that reveal comes out. Because they're, they're having the. They're, uh, that scene is hysterical. When they've got him like tied to the fucking um like construction beam down by the water and he's and we don't know at first that they're fucking around so he's talking to the camera and he's like dad you you have to do what they say dad they're really serious professionals yeah these are trained professionals dad if you get an ear in the mail and he's Starts cracking and laughing, mm-hmm. and then we cut to Christian Slater. He's like, "Dude, you got to be serious, man!" And Billy Jean's behind him laughing. It's so funny. He's like, "Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." <clears throat> and then I love when he restarts because he's like, "Okay, okay, here we go." Alex Jones, Alex Jones, intergalactic pedophile. Here we go. <clears throat> <laughs> oh my god! And then he looks at the camera and he goes, "Daddy." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Dude, shit. it's just the fucking. I love this character so much. You see why Billy Jean kind of falls for Lloyd. Like, come oh, on, absolutely. He's yeah, Daddy. If you get an ear in the mail, you know it's mine. You know, like he is. Dude, he's hysterically funny. Um, that said, I will. I did not start out liking Lloyd. I would like to make a second PSA. This is a very. This is a Measuring Clicks first two PSAs, ladies. No, actually, it's probably I, we can address this to the world. World, if anyone ever whips out a full-size video camera on a tripod and asks you if you want to be a star while you're alone with them in their bedroom, it is probably time to roll on out of there. Yeah. Um, unless you want to be a star and then, you know, stick around, see where the evening goes. But f- most of the time, you're going to want to just bail right away. Yeah. Yeah, true. But see, I think this is the thing about Billie Jean. Like, she recognizes, like, she's had to deal with the Mr. Pyatt's or whatever his Mm -hmm. name is. Like, she recognizes, like, this is someone who is not, I mean, like, I think even when she goes up into the the upstairs back room, like, you can tell on her face. She's like, I don't think this is a good idea. Right. And so I think that she sizes up Lloyd pretty quickly and is kind of like, okay, he's trying to be this guy and he's not this guy. You know, because it's right Mm -hmm. then when she's like, you're you're kind of weird, you know. Right. She's like, mm-hmm. you went from being like, I'm gonna scare you as this thing, and to you know, to like, hey, you want to be in a movie? Right. Like, I, I make lots of videotapes and blah blah blah. He's 
he's like he's like a not creepy alien inhuman version of yeah. um Facebook guy, whatever his name is. Oh, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Zuckerberg, yeah. He's you know, he's like he's like See, back in the 80s, being a tech guy was kind of cool. You knew about, like, Betamax before everyone else, and, yeah, you know? It wasn't cool when I was growing up. You knew the nerdy <laughs> stuff, and you were like, you don't play football. No one gave a fuck. Carl, right? I've like, never once in my life been in touch with what is popular or cool. So, honestly, I'm just talking out my ass most of the time. You got to be on my <laughs> sex, buddy. That's why we have a show. <laughs> yeah, our cool show measuring four. oh my god um i posted on instagram this is this is something i thought was really interesting because a lot of movies i don't i'm actually not sure if i've ever seen a movie that addresses this aspect of the like outlaw on the run which is claiming that the outlaw has like hit your establishment and robbed you when they haven't because they're criminals, and if they deny it, no one's going to believe them. That was right. really interesting. Funny, too. I have actually have the dialogue written down. I posted it on my Instagram, just this clip. Um, they're all watching the news at Lloyd's house, and it's a, a guy down in, like, somewhere they haven't been, like, Tennessee or something, you know? And he, he was claiming that they hit his gas station and robbed him, like, cleaned him out, took all the money that he had. And Lloyd is saying, you know, like, he probably robbed himself, and he's just, cl- you know, pretending you guys Claim did the it. insurance money and then taking the money. To- yeah. Right, and then, so the reporter holds the mic out and, he go- and asks this gas station attendant, was there anything said before the assault? And the gas station attendant, dude, he looks like... He looks like every stern-faced Protestant from every, like, exorcism movie you've ever seen, but a gas station attendant, he goes... Just profanity. Vile words. They were all bombed out of their minds. Liquor, drugs, I don't know. (laughs) It's just just like how I imagine every person over 38 thinks of every person under 38 on the entire Mm -hmm. face of the earth. Yes. Vile profanity. Bombed out of their minds (laughs) on liquor and drugs. I don't know. These young people today, it's just... Like I'm, th- I'm only thirty, and I'm already starting to think this way about like people younger than me. I'm like, ah, oh, these, these youngsters with their TikTok and their, yeah, <laughs> thirty second attention spans and just, just profan, no words but v- profanity. I love that idea, dude. Like you see Billy Jean and the crew running, and then they'd be like, motherfucker, shit, fuck. Fucking shit, motherfucker! No, what, Money, what motherfucker! Is leaving is leaving very nicely written IOUs. up IOUs yes. in Crayola, and yeah. that's how you know if they've hit you. They leave you a beautiful IOU. Right? Yeah. The way you know if if these robbers if these robbers have actually robbed you is you know did you get two extremely shady looking people come in in wearing their sunglasses indoors? In like bucket hats, they're in like early '90s bucket hats and '85, like glancing. Around. You've never seen worse thieves than Billy Jean and Co. You almost feel like the Toys R Us employees are like, "I'm just gonna let them take it because yeah, they just it. deserve it. Yeah. Honestly, they, deserve it, yeah. they need this. <laughs> they're only taking what they need. That's okay. Like I would stop them, but I'm. It makes me sad to think about right. stopping them, so I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> Them, but it makes me but, feel but sad. You have to 
moments where where like the two kids in the convenience store when they're getting food the first time right, right. and putter's trying to steal right. and you know billy jean's like stop and you have those two kids who pay for their food for them right yep. because again they recognize them as being these kids who are caught up in something or you know they they admire them already like that's the very yeah. beginning of the journey even i love that i love that you pointed that out because it i I've only seen this movie once, but I think about their popularity in the terms of the the grandeur of the end when they have like a following. There's T-shirts, there's posters. People are getting shit framed. Like by the end of this movie, they're they're a known quantity. But you're right. Even as early as this, when they're just trying to get some food to stay alive while they're on the road, people are. Yo, I'll put this on my dad's account. He's outside. Can I get your autograph? You know, like they're getting autographs here. But shortly after the scene where where Billie Jean cuts Ophelia and and Putter loose, we get ra- we get all of those radio call ins, where it's like, "Hey, you're on the air. What do you think of Billie Jean?" And you know, like, "I think it's I think she's doing the right thing, man. Fair is fair." And you you hear all these people coming in. There there are radio stations doing fundraisers to to um, yeah, buying the buying yeah. the moped, yeah. Right, come well, on down. We've got one here, brand new off the lot. Well, yeah. they, the the radio station says we've got your six oh eight. You know, yeah. like by the time this is, if you stay out there just a little bit longer, we'll have enough money to to buy your brother five mopeds. Yeah. Right. So like, right. it, this is and and when that's while that's happening too, she's being driven, she's being kind of cared for and yes. hidden by this by whole her. underground you know, thing that's happened of all these, you know, girls who all have the haircut and all these guys, yep. you know, she's jumping on the back of some guy's, you know, motorcycle I, and yeah. being, I called you know, it taken to an underground right. place. I, I called it the punk rock, ra- the punk rock underground railroad. And I also asked whose underground industrial warehouse is this where they're Dude, meeting? That's so dope. I thought we were going to have like skateboarding <laughs> and like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles showing up and Where's freaking dude? I'm with you. I don't know, man. It was I pretty was, cool. Like the Foot Clan and all band was playing pinball machines. I, I I will say Helen Slater in the commentary. She said that originally there was a like a dance, not like a choreographed dance thing, but there was like a but rape like a, or something that happened down there that ended up getting cut <laughs> out of the film, which probably is a good thing. Probably you know, a good thing. Like one step too far. Right, right. The Matrix Three. There's a big party, and you know, in the underground. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's CGI. I forgot about Zion until now. No, I'm I'm with you, dude. I I was kind of hoping for a little a little touch of hook in the in these scenes with the punk underground railroad. I wanted to, but you know what? You you forget though that that's the that's the X Games. That is that '90s kid thing. That's that Gen Xer '90s kid. But if this movie had been made five years later, she would have walked down into that underground, you know, bunker or whatever the hell, you know, whatever prepper kid is letting her hang out at her house for that night. And there would have been, you know, rollerbladers and, you know, stacks of pizza and corn. Corn would have been had an uncredited cameo as the, you know, skate rock band. band. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, no, I'm sorry. In 90, it would have been Nine Inch Nails. Trent Reznor up there, you know, telling everyone how sad he is and how fucked up everyone's parents are. Um, God, yeah, I, I really, really liked this, where she becomes... When you think about where this movie starts, at the very beginning, this movie begins on a, on the same scale as, like, Angel Heart. Small, repressed community, poor. The movie begins with a fairly 
but yeah, it, for this time period, a fairly standard, lascivious, male gazy, you know, there, there's a really overt sexual overtones. We've got punk kids. This movie starts out stock and standard, and it becomes anything but by the end. And I think that's one of its great strengths is it starts in a place that you are, if you've seen anything like this before, which you, we all have, if you've been watching it could be movies. even like the last Starfighter. I mean, poor mm, kid. Yeah. I mean, it's like that yes. same sort of thing. And and it starts in that spot. But, but like the last Starfighter and like the fly and like Earth Girls Are Easy, it takes you from mm. that early spot i'm comparing it to all of these other 80s no, films that yep. that yep. Mm-hmm. that be, go beyond it starts you somewhere familiar and it takes you to a place this movie made me cry not a little but a lot two times twice this movie had me roll in tears that's how fucking good this flick is by the end there are moments in here where billy jean becomes like a personal part of a part of your personal pantheon while you're watching the movie, like she becomes a, obviously they they play on the Joan of Arc thing pretty hard, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. She, that but that's not that they that's good that's apt, you know she becomes yeah. a low grade messianic figure she becomes especially I'm I know I'm I'm I was born slightly out of this area era I'm slightly further along the time stream than the two of you but I think we we all are close enough in age to share this. This 80s vibe, this punk messiah character in our personal tarot. And to have and this is a really strong draw of that card. You know what? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like I love that. Yeah, but I love that whole that whole thought, that whole idea. It's amazing. The, the, the end the end of this movie mm-hmm. to me is particularly interesting, nuanced, powerful. One of my favorite aspects of this movie, to take it again back to to the the strong female characters, the the powerful feminist overtones of this movie, we end up and also the Robin Hood thing and the, and yeah. the John Dillinger, yeah. Bonnie and Clyde thing. It's all there in the end because I love that the that the man I'm air quoting the man you know the the cops the the government the the powers that be the patriarchy all of those the man does not get to set the terms of her surrender mm-hmm. even though this is gonna be she's going out for sure she knows that this is the end she's gonna turn herself over and some repercussions are gonna happen maybe she gets her money maybe she doesn't but but she's gonna wrap this all up on her terms. And I think it's really important that Officer Coyote, I don't know what his character is name, but, but <laughs> Ringwald, de- Ringwald, Detective Ringwald. So, but, but Detective Ringwald assents. He absolutely, mm-hmm. there's nothing that he refuses her. Right off the bat, he's like, yes, absolutely, for sure. We can do that, definitely. Okay, see you then. There's none of this like, well, you've got to give us give us some good faith. Release right. the hostage. You know, there's none of that diehard lethal wet. We know how this is supposed to go, and I love that it doesn't. She sets her terms, and and Detective Ringwald says, "Yeah, okay. I, thank you for working with us. I appreciate that. That is that's that's more respect than most children are given yeah. in real world or film ever. And to yeah. see it here because of the 
not because it's a gimmick, but because it's been earned by her rapid insertion into the local zeitgeist. You know, she's become important. She's become a figurehead. And the, the, the people in authority are recognizing that. That's amazing. This is yeah. this is a, go go ahead sorry yeah well I think also like he he is also seeing the I don't know the right word he is also seeing how corrupt the other like adults are like yeah. he is recognizing how Mr Pyatt is making this money off of her and obviously assaulted her and obviously is lying you know and then even you know Lloyd's dad the Dean Stockwell playing that, that character right even he um is like, I think they were just having a party. I think, you know, we think it was a toy gun. But by the time they get to this this big, huge crowd right. and, you know, that she's going to turn herself in, he's like, he ordered the sharpshooters. Yeah, He's the one that's like, I have to take it seriously, right? And there's even that great moment where um, Det- Detective Ringwald is talking to Mr. Pyatt and Mr. Pyatt has like this like board of letters that he's gotten from adults all over the country talking about the youth, you know, talk about that, like the youth, and they're, you know, they're terrible yes. and they're ruining our country, you know? And, and the detective is just like, this is ridiculous. It's these are, bullshit. these kids are white. You Fuck can't, yes. you can't, you can't put your letters on the board and talk about how the youth of America's bullshit right next to the shirt you got shot in that yes. you're trying to sell. With little arrows, like look exactly. what that, look at the bullets, look at the bullet hole, and then Fuck. spend all this money on all this exploitive stuff. Yeah, that has her body on it. I mean, I think exactly. I think that this is a this is an intentional and really interesting oh, point, yeah. which is yeah. you know the youth of this country are destroying this nation now. Buy all this merch. With pictures yeah, of the exactly. dangerous and exciting youth on them. It's, oh, this dude doesn't listen to rock and roll. Use that cover <laughs> no, Kenny Loggins song. Right. Like, that's this dude's jam. He was the only person that bought the Time Life collection of elevator music. So what did you guys make of the, the, the really interesting and duplicitous and perhaps metaphorically weighty plan that Billie Jean puts into motion at the end? Where we we see Lloyd and we think Billy approaching from across the beach. Air quotes. Billy's got a gun. Pre- gun. Air quotes. <laughs> pressed into Lloyd's ribs, and they're approaching the crowd. And dude, this the way that they shoot this crowd. You can tell that it's actually not that huge, but really good cinematography. They make they shoot this like Woodstock, man. It looks like mm-hmm. there's two thousand people there. It's it's awesome how how thick this crowd looks. And as they approach, the sharpshooters get a little antsy. Of course, QB just <laughs> yep. busts through the line, runs across the sand, and is like, "Hey, what?" I mean, dude, it's literally like Andy Divine, John Wayne type. Oh, dad, it's a girl. He's in her dress now. He's in her dress. It's like it's that level of uh, oh. <laughs> Christian Slater ends up getting shot. Well, I mean, he's dressed as Billie Jean, but I think it's really interesting that the sharpshooter takes the shot here. That seems pretty extreme to me, especially given the cooperation with law enforcement, mm-hmm. the number of civilians present. Given the standing order of the day and what happened and the sudden uh, pointing a pistol at another person, I think that he's probably justified in the order of the day to take that shot and the fact that it is a wounding shot to, to take that arm out rather than... Um, to take him out, I think was I, I think from from like a law enforcement standpoint and from like a SWAT sort of like orders of the day kind of a thing or escalation of force. 
um, I think that the shooter was justified and took the 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 correct shot. Do you actually. have any? Do you, the take I was the take I'm looking for? What I'm curious about, I guess, yeah. is what what do you think about the various dynamics going on? The the gender. Well, there's a lot. It's pretty fucking dense, actually. In, intensely so. I know it's yeah. it's kind of a big ask, but I you know I watched this movie earlier today and I'm I'm struggling to dissect this last scene and I wanted to do it to tackle it together what'd you so what did you think carl and then leslie what are your takes on this last i think that my take because it's my first go around and at the end of this as soon as i as soon as i personally me carl recognized that this was uh not billy was her brother and he still had this fake gun and that we have swat here now i couldn't stop just i just knew the course of events was going to take place and i couldn't Mm -hmm. get my head out of that space I didn't know if this SWAT was going to... Well, this is before SWAT. I didn't know if the sharpshooter was going to take a kill shot or take a wounding shot. I, I didn't. I just knew that, that he was going to... That's, I couldn't get my head out of that space. Because I saw it. I saw the writing's on the wall. As soon as, soon as Sam... Sam, that's not the right <laughs> character. That's Quantum Leap. But as soon as, as soon as the dad says, you know, he brings a sharpshooter, you know... Yeah, we, we've been we tagging the gun back so hard with Christian Slater's character. You right. know that this is ultimately, as soon as he pulls the gun off the rack, you know he's going to get shot. Right. I did anyway. I'm okay. like, this is okay. The writing's on the wall. So as soon as it was coming to fruition, I just couldn't. It was like watching a car wreck happen in slow motion. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing going on in my head. I was aware. I'm aware that other things are happening. There's metaphor and symbolism and, and all that happening. But at the end of the day, I'm like, fuck. What kind of shot is this? What kind of shot? What kind of sharpshooter is this? He's going for the head or the arm. That's the only thing that I could fucking like. Right, right. Put together. Mm-hmm. You were given just enough information ahead of of action to know just you know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's a fucking great scene and it's intense as hell. It's one of the more intense. It is. It's a standoff it, without a standoff. It's just and it's a standoff with a toy gun and it's oh my the god. The whole it's, time it's, it's tense as hell. It's it, yep. it was the same type of tension for me as the scene in Widows recently when mm. uh when Liam Neeson's son gets killed by the cop. Yeah. You know, when you know that he doesn't have anything threatening mm. But he's gonna do oh, something. That hurts me yeah, so much. Yeah, there's, there's no weapon in the car. Whip, as soon as he whips that U-turn and is getting pulled over, you know. You know what's gonna happen in, in widows. But yeah. there's no stopping it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Leslie, same, same sort of thing here. Yeah, Go for on. sure. No, uh, Leslie, what was your take on this? The the dynamics of this final scene. There is so much going on. So I was. Well, yeah, there's so much going on, and I think too, like you. So there's like. We could talk about it just like from a story point of view in terms of like it kind of finishes off the rule of threes because you have him shoot right the guy at the start accidentally and that one comes out of nowhere. You have then they become the targets like somebody who wants to cash in on the reward. Right. And you have that whole thing and they don't you know, nobody gets hurt, but that ups the stakes and her realization. Right. And now it's like, okay, this is where someone really is going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. This is that payoff. You know, that somebody is really is going to get hurt. And, you know, again, you have um, we see the detective like go up to them and just be like, this is ridiculous. These are kids. It's a toy gun. Like we need to deescalate. Right. But everybody (laughs) else is caught up in this thing. Right. And I think that's the other part of it that's happening is at the same time you have this whole crowd that is seeing that is cheering for Billie Jean. And like they're at a party. They're having a party. Ophelia arrives. 
she's like, thanks for throwing us a party. Because there's that mentality, too. That's yeah. happening at the same time. Because these are still kids, you know? And and Binks is seeing, you know, she unveils the scooter. And he's excited about that, right? And then, again, like you said, you have Hubie comes and fucks it up fucks again. It up. <laughs> like, you know, causes it again to go sideways. Um, and I think all of this is important, too, because you have to have her see the real stakes. You have to have her think she might lose her brother. Right. You know yes, what I mean? Because absolutely. That's, that, that has to get, that has to go there because they've, they've pushed it that far. Yeah. And she has to start to realize how far they, that she's pushed it and that she has to let it go. And right. that she had, you know, and, and also kind of her place in helping to create this, you know, this figure, this idol that everybody is and everybody's seeing through that and seeing how, you know, like, yes, she is, um, she is representing a, an important ideal of fair is fair. And she is right. She is correct. Yeah. But this thing has got way out of control. You know, I mean, as I mean, everything builds to that final of, you know, the fire and everything, which we haven't really talked about yet. But like, right, right. It's, it has to happen. Binks has to get shot. I for agree. Her to understand, you know, like for her to get to that point and, and actually finally kind of confront, um, confront the sleazeball in, in, in the way that's, that, you know, is going to, you know, make everybody understand the situation. I think in a way, I think in a way that, that Binks needs to be shot to, to both let off a little bit of pressure because the movie has built up a ton of pressure, but it's, it's ratcheted up the stakes. We've had car chases, we've had gunfights, but we've had, we've had no deaths. We've had no real injuries, Lots of narrow misses, but that doesn't that doesn't let any of the steam out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in a way, we need Binks to get shot to indicate the the arrival of the climax. You know, we yeah. we need to have some of that pressure let off, or we're going to be unsatisfied with whatever resolution we get. So I think that's that's part of it. It is both the straw that breaks the camel's back, and also the sort of like gut check real world. My brother's injured now my brother might never use his arm again or maybe my brother's dead right you know like it's the rubicon it's the emotional rubicon she must pass in order to realize that there are things more frightening than this old pervert you know like it's what allows her to find you know she's she's made a whole movement and we're gonna resist and fair is fair and that's all well and good but eventually you have to go and slay the dragon or the dragon's mm-hmm. always going to be there. You can you can pick at the dragon all you want, but until you cut its fucking head off, that thing is still in the mountain. So this is that moment for her where she's like, all right, this has gone too far. They shot my brother over $608. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go and talk to this guy. And I like that she pulls the wig off too because this is not a time for duplicity. This is a time right. for this is a time for frank and honest face-to-face yeah. confrontation, which is something uh, for all of the yelling, not to get too not to obviously not to get political. We're trying to avoid it as best we can. Aren't we, Carl? But um always. It's <laughs> tough. But it's boy, a tough road to- it is, especially this year obviously, but but this is that thing where this year for all of the yelling that we've got, I don't know if you guys feel the same, but for all of the the shouting and yelling and animosity, I really don't feel like there's been a ton of of 
confrontation, a, co- a ton of argument, a, mm-hmm. co- a ton of discussion. I feel like there's a shitload of noise and not a lot of content. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and this is one of the things that I that I love about the end of Billie Jean is this is what we all wish we could do is walk up to insert your problem, your issue, your tormentor here. Walk up to them and just have it out. However that's going to fall because Billie Jean ultimately doesn't take the money. Right. You know, she she ends up accepting some vague sum Man, maybe it's a little more, maybe it's a little less. Just take this and let's call it good. You know, I mean, fuck, dude. Again, sorry, listener. I'm trying not to be political, but I have a Washington Post subscription and a lot of time on my hands. But, um, you know, like, that's what we're kind of looking at right now with, like, stimulus checks. Oh, how about, uh, you guys need a bunch of, what if we gave you, like, next to nothing and you shut your mouth? The the government, you know, the government or Pyatt or whatever is going to throw some indeterminate sum at you and expect you to be happy and shut your mouth and walk away. Because but you, it's also because he's made a shit ton of money. He yes, doesn't even need off that of money. Her. Off, off of her. Right. Off of exploiting her. Right, right. And maybe it's because we've been watching a lot of movies lately with strongly principled people. Um, but this, I love this. I love when she throws, she just chucks the money back at him. She doesn't even really start the fire. He starts the fire. Yeah, exactly. I, the other thing that I love is the fire burns that whole facade, that whole sham, that whole exploitative structure down. And the reason that it burns all the way down is because the crowd knows that it should and does and nothing to it, stop it. And they're feeding it by throwing their merch back into the yeah. into the Which pit. Which I love. The yep, fact that that brought a tear to my eye when they're stripping off of uh, they're like, "Yeah, fuck this dude. They realize the mistake <sighs> they made so, and chuck that merch back and let it burn, feed the fire." Whole other that thing. Was, whole was other whole, level. Beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Throw, th- pay, things they paid for. Yep. Exactly. Yep. I love that, man. Like rejecting, like we we fed into this, we bought into this. These are things that we have placed value on, mm-hmm. and we are going to cast them aside. Like the, things that you've invested in, in a way. Like obvious. Read, listener. We've beat you over the. I've beat you over the head with enough <laughs> metaphors. I would never put that on on Leslie or Carl, these fine people. But my metaphoric brain has been battering you. So build your own metaphors here. But my God, that you. They're pretty they're pretty obvious, you know, like things that you have invested in and gotten swept up in and things mm-hmm. that you've bought and yep. paid for, sacrificing them to burn down the structure that they are an inherent part of. That yeah. is a pretty fucking bold statement to put in a nineteen eighty five. I gotta say, we, I was gonna jam. say we've 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 said it before on this episode and I think it bears saying again that yeah. I don't know if it's if prescient is the right word, but this movie has so much to say about twenty twenty and where yeah. we are right now. To 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 a it I mean it hurts me because of how not hurts but like I get I get really big like goosebumps and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it hurts my arms when I think of how it's, how tight this is and how 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 resonant it is for it, for for today it's timeless it's in the best way it's time, yeah you know? it's it's broad and human in the best way it's astounding yeah. well and i i i sorry i don't i know you're trying not to get political political go but, for it go for you know, it give us again, an excuse I, I, 
I come back to the to fact that I think that this is again steeped in an earlier era of you know uh, uh, from that original writer of mm-hmm. you know McCarthyism and I think that we are in an era right now where we are in that dangerous spot. Yeah. Yeah. We won't say more than that but but we are seeing similar things happening. What are you I thinking think- in particular? I think it's also misinformation. Yes, that's I think it's huge. misinformation. The, the, again, the you know everything that's leading up to this too is is so much of what people think about Billie Jean yep. and what's happening with them is not. It's just not true. Spin whether you build them yeah. up as as an an idol or whether you see them as the rot that is you know going to bring down America, right? No matter what, right. it's misinformation, yes. right? That's a great point, it, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's become bigger, you know, and it's, and it's, um, and I, again, I think that the the teenagers are, you know, and these kids are representing, like, the, the again, people who are trying to do the right thing, who are just trying to do the right thing, trying to take care of each other, try, right? And right. you have this, other bigger force which is trying to exploit that trying to make money off of that trying to uh trying to you know manipulate that for what they're gonna get you know what's good for them because I mean, you have like lloyd's dad lloyd's dad wants to get elected he's running for office mm-hmm. right and so you know he's like and his kids like kid my kid just wants to like make things hard for me like i mean this is so for me it's more about the machine of you know um the machine of our uh, of our culture that is trying to manipulate the truth and you know and make people you know i mean again i just think the and and there's the whole aspect about the media too about the how the media is portraying things and people mm-hmm. are only, and of course i mean now you have you know your media right your media right. that you go to that right. is telling you the truth right in quotes right yeah I, um, we sculpt our own truth because we have so many i like yeah. i like where you're at with this where you you can almost see like billy jean roughly equal sign aoc where it's like oh pro- progressive savior wonderkind or socialist antichrist socialist antichrist depending on which which media if outlet if you're listening to fox news in the morning or if you're listening to ipr damn exactly. straight yeah yeah exactly i totally see what you're saying like it this is a movie kind of about spin and perspective and hype and and what and the underlying reality and what that reality needs to do to assert itself rather than be lost in the noise yeah absolutely i totally see that and- and that's that. why the only the only way for Billie Jean to end this is she has to burn that down. I yeah. mean, there's also yeah. this transformation. She has to burn that down, and she's bought into it, right? Right. Like, I think what's interesting is, like, when she makes her video to send out, and I think, you know, from the one point of view, you could, you could kind of say, this is weird and ridiculous. She's like, this is like the first time you see her in makeup. She's, like, all mm-hmm. made up. Right. You know, so she cut her hair off, but she's all made up, and she's got the one earring, and she's got, like, the scuba things she's like scuba top she's like cut up and it's like you know showing off her cleavage but to me you know so you could kind of be like oh this is just 80s or silly or Mm -hmm. like weird but to me it's like she's created a persona because she knows when you go on tv you have to look good right she made an avatar absolutely exactly so she's she's helped to create this persona 
And so she has to burn it down in the end, you know, and she has to really realize, you know, why was I doing this for my brother? My brother is the only person that really matters. You know, I also love in this movie that you have a love interest, right? She has Lloyd, but she doesn't end up with Lloyd. Right. It's not about that in the end. Right. You know, that was, that was sweet and that was fun and maybe in a different life, but like, it's about her brother and taking care of her brother. So she has to like, like get rid of all that other stuff, all that other stuff. And even including the $608 is meaningless if you don't have your brother, you know, absolutely. I like that. She's able to let go of the original slight when the broader implications of what she started become apparent. $608 is nothing. If your if your brother's not there anymore, that's right. That just stands for an ideal and it's time to defend the ideal and let go of the, the, the nitty, the, the, the initial incident. It's, it's beyond that now. So I think it's important to take your stand initially, but then you have to be fluid based on, on, on what happened. And, right, and, right. You got to yeah. look at the world you're living in now rather exactly. than the world you were living in a month and be, ago. And be right. willing to be flexible. God damn it. Well, even was it Nietzsche? <laughs> so yeah. You have to be flexible. Be like the if you're like a reed mm. and, and you're inflexible, a wind comes over, you're going to break in half. You have to be fucking flexible. If 608 works to, to get them on this journey, but if they're inflexible, yeah, again, what's it worth? 608 and, bucks or your brother's life? Like, you it, have to be able to change. It was either Nietzsche or Kafka. I know the quote you're talking it's about. One of those two. It's one yeah, of those it was... two, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so we are deep into our hour number two. I did not expect yeah. this. I'm delighted with it, but um, <laughs> about a buck thirty. Yes, for, for go time. But so what I'm what I'm thinking I is I so do I. I I actually have no notes left. I just double checked. They're all crossed off. Um. Do either of you have any final thoughts on The Legend of Billie Jean? Obviously, I love this movie. I highly recommend it to everyone. I'm going to buy it. It is so up Bird's Alley. Bird will be watching this within the next month. Okay, this is so tiny, but it's something that I noticed and I love. So in the beginning of the movie, the mom is going on like a first date. Yeah. And like you see him at the car. And then every scene with the mom, like when the, the, she calls and the police are there and like the mom's crying, every other scene, and the end when she's like waiting for them to come, the guy is there. It I know it's so tiny, but like, yeah, like this guy who just had a first date with her is sticking with her, even when her daughter is like a fugitive on the run. Her daughter is an equal crisis for this woman. And, and she, a- she calls it too. She's like, I... She looks out the window early on and she looks at like this balding dude who's sitting in his car and he looks over and like waves at her all doofy and she looks at her mom and she goes, oh, he looks nice. I like this guy. Like this guy's different. (laughs) It's like a tiny, tiny little detail. But this is what I love about this movie. It's like every little thing is so, it's so great. It's just really rich with all these little like these are just real people. You know what I mean? And I don't know. It does. It does feel that way. Carl, did you have any? Yeah. So my closing thought on this is sometimes I'll, I'll catch a movie late, right? Like there's a movie that you should have seen in 1985. It fits firmly in your wheelhouse. And you're like, damn it. I wish I would have grown up with this movie. Right. I feel like I caught this at just the perfect time for me to see it for the first time. But I don't, I don't know if Carl in 1985 would have got it. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how it would, how it would have set with me. I don't 43 year old Carl watching this for the first time yesterday is a perfect time for me to watch this. Yeah, and man. it's not one of my, it's not what is retroactively one of my favorite movies that I grew up with. 
I, I feel the, weirdly the same way about this. There's a lot of movies. I have learned so much about 80s cinema since we started doing this show because of movies that you've recommended. I've watched movies mm. that are similar, like, you know, recommended for or... I've gotten interested in directors from the 80s that you've introduced me to. I did not have the colors in my palette. I didn't have the right the right tools in my toolbox to appreciate this film until this year because of the mm-hmm. show. Like I would not I probably wouldn't have dug The Legend of Billie Jean when I was growing up, but now having recently become a fan of this era like i said i i'm a 90s kid that's when i grew mm-hmm. up man like that's my jam early x-men batman the animated series stuff before that kind of was like, i didn't get it now i've got some of that palette developed and this hit so right for me right now yeah very very anybody who's been loving stranger things and is getting into that throwback yeah. 80s yep. vibe Put this in your get this in your utility belt, people. I'm telling you, The Legend of Billie Jean, 1985, directed by Matthew Robbins, so fucking good. That's it for me. Do you want to? Are we? Shall we thank the patrons and get on out of here? Before oh yeah, it you have you have the list. Turns so go ahead and, and do that. So we are a listener supported podcast. If you like what we do, you can head on over to Patreon.com/slash/QuillenFilm. Q U I L L A N D F I L M. Before we thank our patrons, we would like to thank our special guest Leslie. Thank um, you. And patrons, people who keep the lights on, people who keep our mics hot and keep our mic stands kind of duct taped together, we would like to thank all of you as well. So thank you so much, so much. Connor Sweeney, Brian Jackson, Daniele Hartelli, David Rowney, Jeffrey Morgan, Casey Scheibe, Kelly and Mike Wagner, Kevin Ramirez, Sister Sarah Hartley, William Rockwood, Cassandra and Cynthia Van Mayenen, thank you all so much. Genuinely, from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate it. Um, this very special episode of Measuring Flicks was made possible by you. It's brought to you by you. And that's brought how that works. To you by Pat Benatar. Um, and <laughs> if you if you like this episode, if you like what we do, if you love the Legend of Billy Jean, if you hated the Legend of Billy Jean, and you want to tell all of us off. Tell us off at measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com. We appreciate a good tongue lashing. Let me tell you what. (laughs) And we will read it on the air. All right. That's it. Leslie, we've kept you from your family and from a hot dinner I long think, enough. I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think I saw food being delivered about an hour and 15 minutes. No, ago. no, 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 no. No, it's just my charger. It's okay. It's okay. Like, Thank God. She's going to have the coldest tots ever. I know. I was like, man, I'm hoping that's not anything that's I mean, time sensitive. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Um, stay tuned. We've got more special guests for you coming up in December. We've got our December uh, standard main season picks coming up. Um, you are in for for some treats, some tricks, some movies that are on theme, some movies that I picked that have nothing at all to do with December. It's going to be a fun month. Um, so stay tuned. We're getting caught up. We're almost there. We love you all. We'll see you next time. So remember, fair is fair. God damn it. <laughs>